You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or die shrink for 3 percent off everything else on the website all right now let's get on with the show Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today, as I am on every news episode, joined by my co-host. Yo, what up? It's Dan. Oh, hell yeah. So, how, how, how's it going, Dan? Eh, I don't know. Pretty good, I guess. Had a, had a fun situation where for some, the deadbolt on my uh, apartment door just stopped working. The deadbolt? Never seen that happen before. But. Like the lock just wouldn't work now. Yep. <laughs> I so, mean, did it get a Windows update or what do you think happened there? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I had to disable like hyper threading or something on it because Spectre. it was a security issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. No, but I was joking, but I'm like, I can't imagine what would make it stop working because it's not like it would have like rusted or melded. You, I assume you use it every now and then. So that should have kept it moving. I, I would say I probably use it, uh, I don't know, three to five times a day at least. Mm-hmm. And it, it's still locked from the inside, but not the outside. So no clue what happened there. If uh, we have some locksmiths in, in the in the, uh, the Discord, love to know. <laughs> but, or in the YouTube comments. Like, you know, let's hear some suggestions. And we joke, but I'm sure somebody is. Somebody <laughs> probably is. Yeah. Listening to this while they're working on a lock and they're like, let me pull out my phone and message these guys. <laughs> um, this well, all right cool. then. Uh, Alaskan Assassin writes in. He says, hi, Tom. Checking in to see how you and Reese are recovering from the recent attack. And how is she overall with everything going on? Please give her some good pats and love from everyone in the live stream. Well, well, everyone and everyone who follows Moore's Laws, that is what I assume you mean. But um, I mean, the the vet says she's pretty much recovered almost miraculously, especially for someone who has cancer. She's done with her last chemo. And uh, I mean, look, she's 10 years old. She just got attacked by a dog and and cancer, but she's she's living fine right now, you know? So it's one of those things where I just expect she'll take a turn for the worse one of these months, but it could be next month or it could be in a year. And uh, I'm just glad at least right now her quality of life has remained unchanged, which is not what we can say for a lot of other dogs we've had when they've gotten cancer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw her, what, a couple months ago now, probably, and, you know, she seemed very happy still, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right, then, let us get into the corrections. Max to the Max writes in, and he says, the latest podcast had a comment about how suspicious it is that GPUs went from extremely scarce to oversupplied, and he puts this in quotes, with modern just-in-time manufacturing, 
But in fact, cutting-edge integrated circuits have about a six-month lead time on the Fabian alone. So this is far from just in time and honestly not that unexpected, that situation that NVIDIA finds himself in with oversupply. Uh, I, I think that's a fair point. But at the same time, though, I know that they like stopped production on Ampere, I think it was late October, if I remember correctly, um, NVIDIA did, and then that was backed up, I think, by DigiTimes and a few other people. And I do know that they've been hoarding some parts, so I don't know that it's that simple based on the other things I've heard that they just, you know, what 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 we're seeing right now is just everything they ordered arriving when it ordered. And even if that's part of it, which you're right, Max, to the max, it probably is, that still means, even if what you're saying is entirely the situation that six months ago, NVIDIA was like, there's no way mining or anything else will slow down in the next six months and kept the orders coming. Despite the fact that there was a literal timer <laughs> counting down to when mining was going to stop. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just crazy to me that that or was seemingly unforeseen because that, that has to be the only conclusion. Like it had to have been unforeseen that there's now a huge flood of used cards in the market, which I think is also exasperating it. Yeah. And so I guess what I would say then is it's a fair point that there's a lag time in orders, but considering how absurdly oversupplied everything is, I can't help but think that there was some hoarding going on. Don't you think, Dan? I think I compared them to DeBear's last week. So yes, our last podcast we recorded. So yeah, I, I think there was definitely some element of that. Which I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly. I think I saved this for a die shrink mailbag episode, but I believe someone wrote in the comparison you made to hoarding diamonds is incorrect based on how the companies recently operate. So <laughs> I don't remember why. I just didn't think we had enough time for this episode. We have way too much to discuss. But in a die shrink or something, we will be addressing that, Dan. So no, maybe. And I think it was Carbon Cry. So maybe don't keep saying that. Okay. But all right. One thing that we have to keep talking about a little bit, even though I feel like we've already talked about it quite a lot already, is Zen 4. So let's get to story number one. So Zen 4 Raphael processors reviewed and released. Technically, the Zen 4 release has fallen into this news cycle, Dan. So I thought that we should discuss it, even though we really, I did a couple of videos. It's been talked about on the live stream. And I talked about it with James Pryor in the Pryor Broken Silicon quite a lot. I want to talk about it with you officially here. 7950X, 7900X, 7700X, 7600X, the AM5, X670, X670E, and then the bad sales at first that are now seemingly picking up in volume. Damn. What do you think about the Zen 4 launch? Uh, obviously, there were issues with it. Uh, I, I, we've talked about this. I think, personally, the biggest issue that happened was I just don't think the 7700X and 7600X should even have launched uh, with the initial launch. And this should have just been the, you know, high-end launch where some amount of uh, early adopters fees are expected and people getting the 7600X are, I think, less likely to want to be paying an early adoption fee, especially getting, like, uh, insanely expensive chipset and something like the X670E specifically. and. I think those cards, I mean, not cards, the CPUs should have just been saved for, you know, the lower price X650 launch. And 
B650. Oh, yeah, saving sorry. you from the comments. Sorry. Yeah, B650. And I think if they had done that, there would have been some degree of mitigating the lukewarm reception because re- releasing a quote-unquote budget CPU to a high-end platform just doesn't really make that much sense. You know? A- yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even day one with the... uh you know, ho- pretty horrible overall sales of Zen 4 based on the people I talked to, like micro centers and other retailers. Um, the 7950X seemed to be completely in line with previous launches. So that one, you know, that was probably $100 less than the 5950X, the strongest processor. There's little chance that the i9-13900K is going to significantly beat it at, ev- at most things. If not anything, it's probably going to be a- basically an effective time. This is out now. So it's no surprise that that did well. And I think what AMD was just thinking was we might as well launch the 7600X now for those who want it. And I guess at the end of the day, let's wait till quarter four sales are reported. Maybe it didn't really matter Mm -hmm. overall. Maybe. But I think that no matter what, even if it ends up okay, you just have to remember that there will be 7600X reviews on Tom's Hardware, on TechSpot, all over the internet forever frozen in place that say bad things. And I just, I think AMD should have been smarter to realize that yet you got to pair the 7600X with the B650 for the day one reviews for that processor. It's going to get bad reviews. Yeah. And I think you talked about that in your video, this in your video uh, about the launch where you think maybe the price of most of these CPUs or all of them should have been just chopped by maybe $50 or something. And I think I said earlier that the pricing was okay, but you know, I I, I think uh, you just can't avoid the fact anymore that what they've had this naming scheme with this core count now going for what four, three, four generations now, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Since then too. And, yeah. Yeah. And Eh, CPU well, core arguably counts. since Zen 1, actually, because the 1800X was eight cores, yeah. <laughs> yeah, CPU core counts keep increasing. Intel keeps it is Intel keeps uh, introducing new uh, CPUs with similar na- with the same naming scheme, but different core counts. And at a certain point, a 600X, if you're going to keep calling the 6-core a 600X, maybe the 600X needs to drop in price a tier. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think... They, they lowered the price of the 950X tier because they thought they had to buy $100. So it's just common sense. Then, all right, well, if that's $700, 7900X should be $500 or maybe even $480 or $450 to be next to the i7s from Raptor Lake. And mm-hmm. the 7700X should have been $350. And so it's $250 for the 7600X. I think there's no way around it that AMD's realizing they were a bit cocky with it. Uh, <laughs> they definitely were. And, you know, uh, we'll see if that's what ends up being the reality. I don't know if uh, if things from this generation are going to hold their value as well as the last gen's products because uh, people are a little bit fed up. So (laughs) if uh, sales don't start picking up like they uh, would have been expected to or if they don't ever get to a super high level of sales like even if they get better than the, its initial release, I mean, at some point they're going to have to be forced to drop price to get rid of product, to get rid of uh, inventory. Yeah. And, eh, hopefully that happens. 
Well, and I think it's worth pointing out here. I've got, of course, the links that we will have in the description, you know, open next to me. And one of them is the hardware unboxed 7600X review. Compared to the 12600K in 1080p and the i5-12600K actually had faster RAM, the 7600X won by 10% on average. Mm -hmm. So it's not the worst. I mean, I don't think the Raptor Lake i5 is going to beat the 7600X in gaming. It's going to cost more, as we're going to cover later. But the fact is, it just, the platform was paired badly. Um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> PC Dog writes in, he goes, hello, Moore's Law said leaked that AM5 motherboard prices, oh, I'm sorry, you leaked AM5 motherboard pricing prior to launch, and when I went to buy an X670 motherboard on launch day, I found on Newegg an ASRock Steel Legend X670 Extreme for 300 but with rebates and discounts, the board actually cost only 260 That wasn't the only board under $300 on launch day either. I counted six X670E or X670 motherboards below $300 and a few more X670E boards a bit over $300, all of them in stock. One of those X670E boards even reached $245 after a $15 rebate. So again, Moore's Law said, thanks for nailing the pricing on (laughs) X670E. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to say that uh, that initial pricing milking I said, for motherboards was only a couple manufacturers and you can probably guess which ones they were and it's very clear asrock was not included in that milking asrock's yeah pricing x670 and x670e exactly where i expected it to be yeah and i don't know if you have even x670 boards that you can get for 245 bucks once again if this was just a high-end uh cpu release i don't think there would be that many complaints about that because for a high-end uh, platform, $245 isn't that expensive for a motherboard. I paid significantly more than that for mine. <laughs> Let's put yeah. it that way. Which S- mine was some... kind of a boutique one that came with a sound card, but still. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know the what like the average motherboard purchase price is. That might sound steep for a lot of people, but I don't think a lot of people are paying are going to pay for that extra little bit of uh, <laughs> Uh, of features that you get with x670 because frankly most people don't really need or want them Mm -hmm. all right brett summers writes in and he says hello tom and dan what are your thoughts on zen 4 now that the reviews are out in the wild the dust has kind of settled is it pretty much what you were expecting Productivity looks absolutely like a solid uplift, but gaming wasn't as big as I would have thought. It's quite interesting also to see the 5800 X3D still able to be up there around in gaming next to Zen 4. So damn. We've had, what now, a couple weeks or a little over a week to digest it. Did Zen 4 live up to what you were expecting? Uh, I mean, for productivity, I think it looks great. And, you know, if that's what you, it, it, that's the reason I think you get a 7950X. And if you don't need it for productivity as much, you get a 7700X or a 7600X if you're going on to AM, uh, uh, going on to Zen. But, um, you know, gaming was, I, I, I would say, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. There isn't that much to say. It's like at 1080p, you're kind of at a point where you're in a lot of games, you're either getting GPU bound or you're at the limit of the the limit of the game itself. <laughs> and I mean, uh, see- what is it? Gamers Nexus, I think it was like Rainbow Six Siege. And he goes, and I think aimed, I, I don't, I'm paraphrasing. I think it was like AMD should be embarrassed by this 20% loss, only getting 600 frames a second in Siege. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
a lot of people probably are getting a lot out of playing at 600 frames per second, Tom. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like if the, if this is the limit of what the game can even run at a certain point, like it almost doesn't matter. And I think, um, I think to some extent, gaming benchmarks alone don't really capture what you get out of getting a new CPU because a lot of what you get out of getting a new CPU is your system overall just runs a lot better, you know? Mm-hmm. And But you just got a 5900X and you said it was immediately obvious the snappiness doing everything compared yeah. to the 2700X. And it like loads games faster typically, which... Yeah, now you outload me, so now I'm the peasant. Yeah, you're the peasant on your... Uh, what, what did you pay for the 3950X? I can't remember. Anymore. $750 in 2019. Jesus. Such and a, now we have such a, a peasant purchase. <laughs> I know. Now we have a seven hundred dollars sixteen core that like nearly doubles single threading performance. <laughs> just three years later. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as gaming goes, I mean, I'm a. I think the gaming performance is a bit lukewarm uh, because it really doesn't distinguish itself that much from Alder Lake uh, or hell, even the fifty eight hundred X three D in a lot of ways, but. Uh, I guess we'll see if that continues to happen once we have stronger GPUs like you suggested, you know? Yeah, and and I mean, just to answer Brett Summer's question myself, I, I thought about it, I looked at my leaks, and I was like, you know, I said I expected Zen 4 to have 20 to 40% higher single threading. It's at 29%, and I expected multi-threading to be like 40 to 50% better. That's where it is. So <laughs> the IPC increase is not quite as high as I expected, but it's almost in the range I expect. I was told it would be, and it's still a respectable IPC increase. And the multi-threading is exactly where I thought it would be, and all this is made up for by the fact that the boost clocks are a little higher than I expected. It's basically below the median outcome I was expecting, but well within the range and not a worst-case scenario. It's it's pretty much I'm not like whoa, but it's 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 what I expected. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Nis writes in. He says, "Hi, Tom and Dan. With the Zen Four release, we saw the new high temp standard for all, for boosting all cores. Do you think AM5 was partially hamstrung by being reverse compatible with AM4, or was there no performance penalty?" And this is something that's been emerging um, that the IHS is a little thicker to like keep. Uh, compatibility with previous gen coolers, I guess. Um, honestly, this isn't something I've really paid that much attention to, Nis, but I would say the answer seems to be at least a light yes, that it's partially different. Although I've had, I've seen some people, I, I did see this. Some people suggested to me that in most scenarios, it's like a one to 2% difference, but like in extreme scenarios, it does hold it back a little. And um, their eight, their eight hour. Der Bauer is how I would say it. Oh, okay. Oh, that, that probably makes more sense. Uh, he delit it, and obviously this isn't like a normal mm-hmm. performance. He's an extreme overclocker, but uh, he was able to decrease temperatures by I think twenty percent. I mean, not twenty percent, twenty degrees uh, by delitting and doing di- uh, direct uh, die cooling. Which, looking at other thing, other similar things he's done in the past, that seems to be more substantial than what he's able to achieve typically. Yeah, I would say that's pretty comparable to like deleting Ivy Bridge. Oh, really? Um, but definitely uh, more than like Devil's Canyon or Skylake. So 
Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, and the thermal and the and and the Intel melting days that you would gain like <laughs> thirty degrees or something sometimes, but over time they got better at it because they had to. So yeah, I think yeah, I think that's very good evidence, counselor, for what this person's saying. Um, where Takas writes in and he says, "Hi Tom and Dan, with the high heat load on Zen Four compared to Zen Three, are we going to see the same performance improvements by adding Vcash?" If I remember correctly, they limited boost clocks for the 5800X3D. Are we going to see the same thing with the 7000 3D models, or have they validated with higher temps? So, it annoys me, but I have to address questions like this every time, even though I don't think I should have to keep doing this. But I think I have to, because I keep seeing this in the comments. And this is a very prevalent misconception that Robert Halleck directly cleared up in multiple interviews. Listen, please, please listen. The 5800X3D did not have lower clocks because of temperatures. It had it because Generation 1 Vcash had voltage limitations. That's it. So the clock, the CPU lower too to not require more voltage. What I'm hearing about Zen 4 is there are new voltage uh, limitations. It's it's higher than before, but it's you're going to expect a drop, but it's not a, it's not a temperature thing. So expect like a 100 to 300 megahertz drop. But it's not because of temperatures, because of voltage. Um, let me see here. I'm guessing you have nothing to add to that, Dan. Yeah. Um, I would expect a similar performance increase with Zen 4 compared to Zen 3, in other words, uh, with Vcash. I should writes in and he says, given the amount, the almost universally bad press the 7600X and 7700X got, at least with price performance, do you think they should have waited on lifting the embargo until B650 came out? Well, we've already answered that question. So I guess we got yes. a little ahead of ourselves there. <laughs> yeah, we think it should. And, you know, I guess before we move on to the next story, finally, I would just say, you know, for those who missed it, I, I covered this in the live stream. I covered this in my Broken Silicon episode with James Pryor. Make sure you listen to those if you want to hear that whole thing. But AMD gave away free RAM with uh, R9 processors at Micro Center uh, last weekend. I'm told that this was not Micro Center desperately giving away RAM because they had to to get rid of Zen 4 stock. What this was, was AMD did a marketing deal to promote G-Skill. G-Skill absorbed probably about a third of the cost. And they just told Micro Center, one of their biggest carriers of Zen 4, which, yeah, I was told they had like whole pallets of Zen 4. They were <laughs> like, hey, we'll pay for the RAM at this one place for a weekend because we want to see if this fixes the sales issues. And I'm told that Zen 4 could not stay in stock once they did that. So this was, James Pryor used to work at AMD. He said they would do this all the time. They'll do a case study before they do some big price drop or global bundling deal because that costs them millions of dollars. They want to do a case study and test, all right, if we had DDR, if we like basically dropped the price by a hundred bucks, would this solve the issue? And it did. So I would say that AMD knows what they're doing or, or AMD's trying to figure out what they need to do and they're not going to sit by idly. We have still two weeks before Raptor Lake launches. I don't think it's going to have good volume. I think AMD's going to have some answer besides B650 with it. Um, I, I guess that's the final thing I want to ask you, Dan. What do you think AMD should do to keep the momentum going through the Raptor Lake launch with Zen 4? I guess I don't know exactly what you they could do at this point because it's pretty impending. Uh, I don't think you can drop prices this quickly. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can. But <laughs> I agree. It irks some people. But at most, I, I, I really feel like B650 
if you can launch B650 and have some of them at like a, a decent price at like $130, I think that would drive a lot of people to want to get a 7600X, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, the 7600X would be like $230, $250, uh, but uh, I don't think they would do that that quickly. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Yeah. You know, what I think I would do is I would just tell motherboard manufacturers, hey, that bullshit you pulled with X670 launch pricing, you're not doing that with B650. And to the people who don't do it, we will give you a $20 rebate if it's bundled with the 7600X. We'll pay for it ourselves. Motherboard manufacturers that don't play ball, you don't get this bundle with a 7600X. <laughs> I, I, I suspect that's what yeah. they'll do. Just do $20 off the 7600X, keep B650 pricing reasonable, and there, there, there you'll go. You have like a $280 7600X with a $150 motherboard next to Raptor Lake that costs more, which we are about to cover here on story number two. Intel Raptor Lake performance and pricing unveiled. All right, Dan, again, I've already deeply discussed this with James Pryor on the prior episode. Should I go to prison for making that joke twice? Probably. But I didn't really get a chance to talk to you about this either. So Intel announced that Rapture Lake brings 10 to 15% higher single threading performance, although there are some apps and games where it's a 0% single threading increase, uh, a 30 to 43% multi-threading increase, and the i9-13900K is a 250-watt CPU, generally speaking. Although, if you cap it at 65 watts, it supposedly performs like a 125-ish to 200-watt i9-12900K, which is really impressive and says good things about Raptor Lake Mobile. That i9, $660. The i7 with eight big cores, eight little cores, $450. The i5, 13600K is $330. 10% more than the 7600X. Like I said, it probably would cost, guys. And the i5, 13600KF. So the i5 with six big cores, eight little cores, but no integrated graphics for this model. $310, still $10 more than the 7600X MSRP. And, uh, oh, and Z790 pricing is leaking. Surprise, same price as X670, Intel is not a charity. So what do you think about Raptor Lake, Dan? We didn't get a chance to talk to you about this yet officially. Uh, We'll see. I mean, I think what you'll have is what it edges out slightly over the, in gaming, over uh, Zen 4 probably. Maybe a little bit worse in productivity, but also roughly comparable. I think you're going to get roughly comparable performance and everything. And I think reception of it then, unless they're able to write the ship of uh, Z690 pricing, I think the reception will probably be similarly lukewarm to Zen 4 because, I, I mean, I just don't think there's going to be that much positive reception of really anything this year. Right. You've said this before, and we'll, we'll, we'll have to re-approach this perspective you have when we get to the Lovelace portion of this discussion, mm-hmm. but... You just think every CPU, most products are going to have a lot of negativity around them because we're in a recession and everyone wants everything to be cheaper and nothing seems to quite be being as generous as what people were hoping for. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and we put up with two years of bullshit. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, we did. And I, I do, to some extent, understand like the annoyance. I mean, it's not like I'm not... Un- also annoyed with a lot of uh, products that are coming out right now i don't think the either cpu launch so far what it sounds like is particularly bad from what they're offering i think they just especially 
well, because Zen's already launched, I think like they've had stumbled a little bit and uh, made their products look a lot worse than they actually are. But mm. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Raptor Lake is probably going to be more or less comparable to Zen 4. I mean, maybe a little bit of a better bargain if you're trying to be budget because you can still do the uh, DDR4 option. But that's about it. And I mean, if you don't want to invest that extra money, I guess, to get DDR5, that's still an option, uh, for even for Raptor Lake. Yeah, I suppose it is. Although, again, I would only recommend DDR4 with Raptor Lake if, well, especially if you already have it. So you don't need to buy new RAM. That's a huge factor, especially if you have like, you know, like me, 32 gigabytes of like 37, 33 megahertz or faster. If you have a mm -hmm. good 32 gigabytes at a fast speed, that's the main reason I understand the argument in 2022 for getting a DDR4 Raptor Lake system. Again, in 2021, it all made sense. DDR5 was ridiculously overpriced, but it it has come down in cost. Like the cheapest DDR5 is not almost $200 now. <laughs> like it is different. <laughs> so I don't know though. I, I wouldn't get a 13900K with DDR4 though. I think by, no. based on some recent benchmarks we're seeing, it, it will lose like 20% performance. At that point, what the hell are you even buying that for? Well, I, I do think some people like make a weird decision where the things that like the things that you would put in like your what like your user flare on a subreddit are the only things they care about. So it's like, well, and I have the 13900K and the 4090 mm -hmm. and I spent $130 on the motherboard and got the cheapest DDR4 I could get. And it's like, if you're and I'm get getting and I'm getting half the frame rate I should on Battlefield 2042. So often, by the way, guys in the chat in Battlefield, they're like, why is my frame rate low? And I ask, what's your RAM? They're like, I got 64 gigabytes when they like waits for applause. And I'm like, what speed? And he's like 2400 megahertz. I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be why your Alder Lake systems running like shit. Have you noticed uh, <laughs> the RAM usage with your 64 gigabytes of RAM on Battlefield 2042? Yeah. I doubt it's using all 64 gigs. It needs faster speed i just think uh i don't think that's a huge amount of people at least hopefully getting the 13900k but yeah if you're getting the 13900k i expect you're the type of person that's going to get a nice motherboard and nice ram with it i'm mm -hmm. talking more people getting like the uh 13600 or 13400 uh when that comes out uh ddr4 is still an option which that does decrease the platform price somewhat appreciably because the motherboards are also cheaper. Yeah, and I guess what I would say then is, you know, with with that i5, if you have the RAM already, that's I'd say that's a better choice than the 7600X, uh, mm -hmm. probably. We'll see what bundles exist then. Um, otherwise, I you know, even if you're going DDR5, I think that i7-13700K for 450 is, is quite a winner, honestly. Yeah. Like, that that thing looks sick. I mean, you're, you're talking about, especially if you push it a little bit, this thing's probably going to, man, I'm like, I'm looking at some uh, Paul's hardware benchmarks for Zen 4 here. I think you're going to look at something that probably matches the, yeah, matches the 7900X overall at everything while being $100 cheaper. And some of those motherboards are cheaper options, even with DDR5. So, I mean, look, you don't get the M.2 slots for PCIe 5.0. I think if you're going for the best system, I would generally recommend the 7950X if you... It, we'll see. They're basically tied, honestly, which one I would recommend at this point. But the, the, with a tiebreaker, I just go, well, 
AM5 will last longer. But I think in the mid-range and lower, Raptor Lake looks pretty good, though. I, I do also want to just add the caveat with like the the idea of like tiebreaker being the this platform will be supported longer. If you're going to do that, just, you know, make sure that you're actually considering upgrading uh, mid-platform <laughs> because like that's the thing like everybody did in the early tw- 2010s was like, well, and I need to get a motherboard that supports SLI because of course I'm going to get SLI at some point and then 10% of people get SLI. <laughs> make sure you're going to actually consider upgrading if you're if that's a reason you're buying something. Which you upgraded to the 5900X, so you did. And you did plan ahead for that with your buying a above-average motherboard for what you needed in 2019 for a Zen Plus CPU. You got yeah. X570 so that you would eventually get that PCIe 4.0 support when you went from Zen Plus higher. But you couldn't deny the value of a $140 2700X. And, I mean, who can blame you? <laughs> yeah, and then for me, the uh, it really wasn't that big of an upgrade fee to go, to go with the... Uh, x570 instead i think it was like 20, 30 bucks or something yeah, yeah 20, 20 30, 30 bucks, bucks uh, especially with rebates i was like and eh, might as well i'm pretty confident I, w- I was pretty confident when i got it that i was going to upgrade at some point i didn't wasn't honestly i wasn't sure if it was going to be uh zen 3 at the time but i guess it was i was thinking i don't know maybe i'll get the 3950x or something when it's cheaper but mm-hmm. But that one really hasn't gone down in price that much, I guess, for some odd reason. Well, we also have to remember this was 2019 when that happened, and uh, that was before everything stopped going down in price. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy Good writes in on this note, Dan, and he says, would it be wrong to avoid Intel because there's no future to the platform? If 2025 is truly the cutoff for Zen 4 or for the M5 platform, you might get like, then what? One worthwhile performance upgrade on AM5? But how much will that really save you if AM5 is as pricey as it is right now? In other words, how much should one value platform support in the initial cost is this high and the meaningful upgrade opportunities are low? Um, I mean, uh, this is what we're talking about. Make sure you're actually going to. Um, and I'm, we consider it a tiebreaker. We don't consider it like you have to just ignore Raptor Lake because of the upgrade. But we're talking about two lineups that are very similar in performance and pricing. If Raptor Lake comes out and it is like 20% better productivity and gaming performance, then get, get Raptor that. Lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I, uh, I disagree that this is going to not have many meaningful upgrades. I mean, you have Zen 4 now. You're going to have Zen 5 and Zen 6. And I, I really don't understand what's going on with people like, but how do we know? Guys, AMD said till 2025. Do you think that's just Zen 5? You think, yeah, in, there, there's going you think to be, in three years, one Gen 1? There's going to be... At, two, at least two more generations on this. They said they didn't say a hard cutoff was twenty twenty five. So there's, I, I wouldn't bet money on it, but there's an a uh, a situation where it could be three. Um, once again, wouldn't bet money on that, but it could happen. And the criticism that it's you'll only get w- one worthwhile upgrade on it. I don't think there are that many people that adopt a platform year one and then upgrade every time or I, I think when we're talking about a platform there's probably one worthwhile upgrade every time it, if that you know well and, and you know i i disagree with the platform cost thing just a little bit already our friend just built a 7700x system he used 
the Micro Center links that Moore's Law said <laughs> offers to its fans. Go check the links in the last loose ends, guys. You can get like $70 off. And they all stacked. He said that it worked. All of these things stacked. He got $70 off the motherboard that he bought with the 7700X and free RAM at Micro Center. That RAM deal is gone right now, but I'm sure a new deal is coming soon. And he paid, he got one of the ASRock X670E motherboards. He paid less than $300 for a motherboard. That's par for the course for a motherboard. He got an eight core for $330 and he got free RAM. So I disagree that this is some super high cost for everyone. If it is where you are, the retailer you insist on buying at for some reason, then sure. But I, I think you have to remember, even if he could only go to like Zen 6 or Zen 5 X3D, that means he's going to be able to go to a significantly higher core count and core performance in two or three years from now. And I'm sure he'll be glad he has that option. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say like, if you can stand to wait to upgrade, I think there's usually a pretty good reason uh it's usually not a bad idea to wait to go to micro center if if that is a possibility for you right because he lives in nashville near me but he was visiting a friend uh in kansas city and they have a micro center so it's like oh shoot i can do that this weekend honestly the yeah. stars align for our friend drew on that weekend Yes, they did. <laughs> There's a lot of luck involved there. Um, Capellio writes in and he says, one thing people are overlooking in evaluating Zen 4 and AM5, I think, is the platform has to account for the future needs of Zen 5 and Zen 6 to include X3D, changes in power profiles, etc. Is there anything in the Zen 5 or Zen 6 rumors that you know of right now, Tom, that you can tie back to the choices and what AM5 looks like today? Yes, I, I think the power requirements... Uh, that have allowed them to push Zen 4 more than I believe they initially intended to. The PCIe 5.0, DDR5. I, I think that Zen 4 is a bridge architecture for this platform. They're launching now, and I think you can see it in how robust its I.O. is. And it didn't need to be. And they've kind of said that in interviews, mm -hmm. that they were there was there was a AM4 version of Zen 4 design I'm, I'm told i i'm told this directly by one of my best amd sources now does it ever going to come out i don't think so but keep in mind what that means they are like designed zen 4 to probably be compatible with zen 3 io dies and vice versa so they can mix and match and uh, they probably went a little overboard to make sure this platform doesn't hold back zen 6 i i honestly think so um, um i mean we i i hope so uh because I, I think that was one of the big problems that happened with AM4 is they didn't anticipate yeah. having to support that many series on it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I mean, and uh, while you just went through hell trying to upgrade your yeah. 2700X <laughs> to the 5900X, this is one of the motherboards that had a bridge BIOS that with very poor directions, I think were written by an intern. Yeah, very poor directions and a, I, I get what it's a bridge BIOS, so they, stability wasn't what they were looking for, but uh, <laughs> It, the stability of that BIOS was incredibly bad, and it was kind of funny. You had to install a bridge BIOS, race against time to install the next BIOS before it would crash, basically. Yeah, because it seemed to have a hard shutoff of 70 degrees for the CPU, so the system would just hard shut down if it reached 70 degrees. Hmm. And it seemingly wasn't correctly reading the temperature either. So, oh, that's, that's a good combination. <laughs> um... And Nilkey's, or Mike, writes in and he says, Hi, Moore's Law's Dead. Is AMD now playing a one-two punch style with their CPUs? 
Zen 4, for example, will compete with Rapture like just fine on games and applications and will be a win-lose tie style depending on which application or game you're looking at. But with the launch before Raptor Lake, they pick a price point. Then Raptor Lake's going to release and Intel's trying to undercut them, which means AMD can just respond with a 3D lineup and decide, do whatever they want to make it look like a value offering. Is this what AMD is going to do moving forward, doing the early launch without 3D, then launch with 3D after as a way to counter whatever Intel decides to do? My answer is there's no way around this. It took an extra, it's taking an extra quarter to test prepare and validate the Zen 4 X3D models. So is this something they might do as a pattern in the future? Maybe, but it's not because they want to. It's because the X3D models aren't ready, based on what I'm told. Yeah, I I mean, we'll see. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if with Zen 5, they just have X3D models at launch. I think that's all dependent on, to some extent, marketing, though. Like, if they feel the need to like he says, have something to counter, maybe they would delay it in X3D launch. But mm-hmm. if there's no if there's no impending launch of a competitor, I don't know why you wouldn't just launch X3D at the same time if it's if it's ready to launch, obviously. Right. And so I think they are launching Zen 4 first because not only is it ready first, but they think Raptor Lake is going to be very competitive. So they're like, get this out now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Meteor Lake sounds like it's not coming out to the very end of next year. Um, and I don't know if it's really going to beat Zen 4 X3D overall. So there's a chance AMD may go, we're not really worried about the Meteor Lake launch. We need to worry about Arrow Lake. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to let Meteor Lake launch, tie Zen 4 X3D or whatever we have out at the time. We're not going to rush out Zen 5. We'll launch Zen 5 early to mid 2024 with X3D there at day one if we can afford to wait to do it because i Mm -hmm. think amd wishes they could have afforded to launch them at the same time i actually do but they couldn't yeah um although this fall has been insanely busy for most members of the moore's laws dead team there's one team member who's been allowed to take it quite easy recently and well Unless you're Reese, unless you're just a dog chilling on a fall afternoon, you could probably benefit from as little wasted time as possible. And you should probably then try Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a delicious American crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. This includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while cooking, and their new Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15 minute lunch break, whether you're back in the office now or still just working from home bite ramen you'll never be too busy to eat and if you click the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon you can save 10 percent off a variety of different products including special bundles for moore's law said fans raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes and the bite go packages as well and other cooking utensils and products whatever you'd prefer using these offer codes really help support moore's law is dead tremendously and it gets you a good deal on a healthy fast to make and tasty reliable sponsor of moore's law is dead try vite ramen today all right then let us move on to story number three moving back to intel here larger 34 core monolithic sapphire rapids confirmed by angstronomics Quoting from Angstronomics website, at the Intel Innovation 2022 event, Intel presented a wafer labeled Raptor Lake S34 core 
which Angstronomics immediately identified to be identical to the monolithic 34-core Sapphire Rapids MCC or mid-core count design. Now that images have publicly surfaced, it's time for us to share what we know about the largest die Intel has made to date. Using a handy image capture by David Altavilla, we can do some image processing to derive the die size of this massive chip. From our edited image, we find a die size around 770 millimeters squared. This makes it Intel's largest monolithic die ever. Not only is it Intel's largest die, it also is the absolute maximum die size possible for monolithic Sapphire Rapids on Intel's 10 nanometer node. The die has a mesh layout of seven columns and nine rows, including IO flanked by the DDR5 interface. The die is already larger than the 30 by 25 millimeter. The lithography machine's reticle limit has a maximum field area uh, exposure field area of 33 by 26. This means it is literally impossible for Intel to add another row or common or column without exceeding the reticle limit. And we have done an annotation showing the layout and key features of this 34 core monster. It has 34 server cores plus cache, two accelerator units, eight channel DDR5 support, and 80 lanes of PCIe Gen 5. Intel has had to balance cost, which will be high for this chip, we promise, with core size, core count, and amount of I.O. The final piece is this balancing act will be its performance, which we are sure to see when parts arrive in 2023. Unless they arrive in December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wink. Um, go on. But so what did you think about this? This was a bit of a surprise that Intel decided to tease this. I, I don't have too much to say on this because this is a little bit technical, but like it sounds like they're very much reaching the well, they're, they have literally reached the limit of what they can do with monolithic dies at this point. So mm -hmm. something is going to give, right? <laughs> well, I just wonder how much they can afford to price this thing aggressively because, you know, if we're being honest, this is really going to compete, I think, based on what I'm hearing with uh, Zen 3 Threadripper Pro. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe AMD will launch a Zen 3D version to Threadripper Pro and... We'll see how that does. I just can't see this thing not costing an arm and a leg. And if AMD actually launched, I guess, I don't know what AMD would charge for it, though, seven grand for like a Zen 3D 64 core. And then maybe they get a little aggressive and do like what, like 3000 or something for a Zen 3D 32 core. How would a, Z a, a 32 core Zen 3 do against a 34 core Raptor Lake or maybe 32 cores? Who knows if they just disable two of these by default for yields. Um because it is such a huge die, I almost wonder how many 34 cores they would even launch to HEDT. I, I don't know. You know, it, it's hard to say. And remember that those advantages AMD has in clock speeds, doubly so when you go to monolithic dies this big. Like this thing is, this, 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 I mean, the, the 8 plus 16 Raptor like uses 250 watts. What the hell do you think th this is going to use like 500 <laughs> if it was trying to boost to five gigahertz? So I don't know. It, it, there's no way it's going to be limited in what it can boost to on all cores. I honestly wonder if uh, Zen 3D will do just fine against this. It's, it depends just how aggressive they're going to be with pricing. Yeah. And like you say, I just I, I guess we don't know how what the wafer cost is uh, at Intel, but. Like I, I, think I don't think it's any less than TSMC. I think they have the benefit of controlling it, but yeah. you have to remember TSMC's only job is this, and they produce more stuff. So, it, TSM, I don't think Intel has any pricing advantage over TSMC wafers, contrary to what some people think. Yeah, I and I, I don't know. Just to highlight it, that Angstronomics article again, like he says that based on that math, they can only do thirty-seven of these per wafer. <laughs> so, 
Not many. Yeah. Gooch Freddy writes in and he says, Ian Cutcher and the guys at Tom's Hardware reported spotting a 34 core Raptor. Like, what have you heard of this design and the products it will go into? Um, I'm actually hearing a lot more. And I actually hinted at this in the last uh, NVIDIA video I put out at the end. Expect some intel information to come out of me soon. I already leaked Fishhawk Falls, the monolithic Sapphire Rapids. This 34 core, what I'll say now, this is part of that family. Fishhawk Falls, monolithic Sapphire Rapids. This is considered Sapphire Rapids. Um, and I, I think it's coming pretty soon, actually. So... Yeah. What did I initially leak? I think I initially leaked that it should come out quarter three or four this year. As usual, it's delayed, but you know. Well, I mean, if they are showing off the dies, you know, I, th- I think it's coming relatively soon then. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'd hope. I mean, well, they've been showing off. How long do they show off Ice Lake Zeons? Yeah, that's true, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but no, I, I, I would say, guys, what I can tell you now is I have a lot more information coming on this and Threadripper. And I think Intel has an opening here. The only thing, like Angstronomics points out, holding them back is cost. And I just don't see how Intel can have a pricing advantage here. But then it comes down to, is AMD going to be willing to drop prices on Threadripper Pro? Do they even care? Yeah. So. I don't know. (laughs) um, Sisphos writes in and he says... Why are there so many somewhat successful tech news outlets that just repeat tech companies marketing BS without even challenging shown information? It's giving like almost zero value to viewers. Do you reckon it has to do with the lack of journalistic education and conflicting interests among tech news outlets? What would have happened? What would have to happen to the status quo for this to change? This is kind of leading into the next story a little bit, but uh, you know, I, it's, this is something I've heard other people talk about who have Patreons and stuff. I I think, I think people fear losing access and they know if they play ball, they'll at least get a minimum amount of views every video because they're part of the conversation and they're the first one to post something. But what they're leaving on the table is making their content more interesting, in my opinion. Uh, What do you think, Dan? Uh, he says somewhat successful. And I mean, I guess if they continue to exist, they, they have to be making money in some way, but like, I don't know. A lot of these outlets don't seem to get very many clicks anymore. And a lot of the people like employed at some of these outlets, I, I don't know if this is their primary job or not, or if it is, they're not really making that much money. So when you say somewhat successful, that's pretty relative. It's they, uh, some they're not starving are, to death. Yeah, it's just some of these are able to exist in perpetuity for, I don't know, they put out information and a few thousand people click on it, maybe. Well, you know, what I've heard, and this is something Colin Moriarty's talked about, you know, he he's seen it all when it comes to the pricing you get from these types of platforms. He was part of IGN, and then he started a YouTube channel with a few people left that to go out on his own and so he's seen how much money you make as part of like a big youtube group how much money you make at a one of these websites and he said like some of these articles that are written on these websites they get like 10 or 20 dollars <laughs> per article they write so i mean you say relatively successful but that's if we're being honest their margins <laughs> like that's what they're doing for writing one of those articles and you have to ask why does the quality go down at some of these websites because that well, the people are willing to make 10 bucks an article <laughs> and i think the people for the most part now um instead of forming these 
a, like aggregates like they're doing with big tech they they used to have with big uh news outlets what's instead of happening is people that are able to differentiate themselves individually uh go on and make a patreon make their own youtube channel or something like that or they form like a co-op of s- sorts or do frankly probably do both because like you brought up Colin Moriarty and the way that is ran is clearly like some semi like contractor co-op thing where mm. they have people come in, record their shows and those are all on their same platform. And Which I do all- occasionally. And he pays me a certain amount of money and he pays me more than $20 to do it. You know, like I pay you more than $20 for sure. Way more than that to come on here. Yeah. And then they go out and do their own thing when they're not recording the podcast that they are supposed to do every week or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about Fishhawk Falls or that? I mean, it is interesting, by the way. And I will say, I, you know, I won't say more because there's some interesting stuff like the 24 core and the 34 core, like how available that big one's going to actually be if you talk to some people who are going to sell these <laughs> Fishhawk Fall systems. But I mean, let's, let's save it for a leak, right? Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, and let us then, of course, move on to story number four, A770 and A750 reviewed. On October 5th, Intel finally let reviewers rip off the band-aid of Alchemist performance, and it is as such. The A770 is generally about as strong as an RX 6650 XT while consuming RX 6800 levels of energy, and the A750 is about as strong as a RX 6600 XT while, again, consuming about 3070 levels of energy. Numerous NVIDIA and AMD cards can be found right now for the same or lower pricing than Alchemist while offering similar or better performance, and that is the best-case scenario then in the games that seem to fully utilize Alchemist right now because much driver work still needs to be done, the A770 still loses to a 6700 XT, sometimes even in games with ray tracing turned on, and it constantly crashes or fails to load many games as well, as demonstrated by Gamers Nexus and a live stream with uh, Linus Tech Tips. Meanwhile, Moore's Law is Dead can confirm from numerous sources that Alchemist production from quarter one is what is being used right now for these cards, and Gamers Nexus back that up by disassembling a card and showing that the card was made in quarter one <laughs> and that there are no plans to make more. They did a low-volume production in quarter one. They're selling off a little bit of it now, saving the rest for laptop and whatever launches they need to bundle Alchemist with to meet their promises to investors. And then that seems to be it. A token launch now, and Battle Mage is at best over a year away. Honestly, I close it like this. Buy at your own risk. We see this as a collector's item, or I see it. I'll let you talk. Uh, I see it as a collector's item as ARC is effectively canceled. Like Band-Aid is ripped off, Dan. What do you think of the A770 and A750? Uh, I mean, I I don't think there's too much new here. Like, I if the stability issues weren't present, it would be fine. That's that's the most I have to say. It's like uses more energy. It's two years late, but you know, really, who cares? It's two year if something's two years late if it performs at the correct year. But it's like there. The drivers still feel sound like they are in beta, maybe alpha, even depending on uh, mm. who you talk to. And I think that's the biggest problem is you're not buying something that you know will work to the same degree that uh, AMD and NVIDIA will. And I know people are will bring up driver issues with 
AMD and NVIDIA when they want to make a point or pointlessly defend Intel. But the fact of the matter is, from everything I've seen, these driver issues aren't like you get a bad driver every once in a while that affects stability briefly or performance. It's just some games are a non-starter. And that's complete a completely different situation than I've ever dealt with other than uh, using like a breaking 560 Ti in 2012. Yeah, which is like all we can say is Theramy still wasn't as bad as this and we had horrible problems and RDNA 1 or I guess it was both really. RDNA 1 and Vega had problems late 2019, but it still wasn't like this. I, I don't know really what else to, you know, uh, honestly, the drivers aren't as bad as I worst a worst case scenario like i mean i've heard horror stories where people couldn't even turn on their system and it broke their windows install and they had to reinstall windows like that's how it happened to me when i tried alchemist which i have an alchemist card over here off to the side uh, so far it worked fine in windows um windows 11 by the way with an alder lake uh system it uh deep rock galactic ran fine uh what is uh what else did i play uh banner lord Mostly played fine, but there were graphical glitches in the overworld, which I, I've never gotten with any. I mean, is there any card we've had, Dan, where just some games had graphical glitches? Like, I, I think the answer is no. Not no, I mean, the only them. thing I can say with Bannerlord is I, I don't know what you're saying with glitches. Is the resolution scaling thing in that game, or when, oh no, it wasn't played, that. Like, okay. like the trees were a different shape. Okay, never mind then, because th there were there's some weird things with settings in that game that I just want to make sure I bring up before you go on, but okay. <laughs> no, yeah, and then Age that. of Empires had weird resolution things, but they all got fixed. Um, and I saw someone in the Discord talk about this. The problem is that Age of Empires 4, in many games right now, seem to detect all Alchemist cards as integrated Intel graphics and defaults oh. to like 480p. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that was. And then uh, Battlefield, I couldn't load any maps. And I saw some people, like Gamers Nexus, went through a list of games that Intel warns don't test these, they don't boot. And Gamers Nexus said you're rolling the dice when you try to use a monitor with Alchemist. So, it, I mean, it's not, in my it, testing, as bad as... I was worried it just wouldn't even work. It mostly worked. But still, this is something I just wouldn't put up with with any product I pay money for that I worked to make. Yeah, and then there's like this weird thing where they're trying to show that it's a better value proposition than other cards around it on the market. And like they had that promotional video come out a couple weeks ago now that we might have covered briefly already. But like where they come to this weird conclusion that the 3060 is currently four hundred twenty dollars. Um and if I go to Newegg, I, I'm pretty sure I can get them for a lot less than $420 right now. Yeah, you, you saw me immediately go look. Maybe maybe the 360 is Let's sold see. out, but when I checked. You got um, one for last. 380 380 370 And then there was one for 340 the other day. Oh, oh, there it is. There's one for 340 And that's not to say um, the 30... Oh, wow. That's a new one for 340 So the, and that's oh, not there's to say... one for 370 and that's not to say that the 3060 never sells for like $450. Like they're, nope. they're, they exist. But like if you want to, you can get a $350 3060 right now if you want to. And it feels a little disingenuous to. It's entirely say, disingenuous. To, to one pick a card that's not particularly good price performance uh, that's in the same rough uh, performance category and then inflate that price by another like 15% to get to this weird conclusion that you have 50% better price performance than the rest of the market when 
the cards that you're directly competing with are all better price performance. Like when I say the cards you're directly competing with, I should say like the cards that are closest in price to them, they all have better price performance. So I don't really know what the comparison is. So, I mean, I don't really know what much more there is to say about this thing. Like, look, guys, they cherry picked 3060 pricing. There, I, this is, yeah, there's three, I have one right here for 340. I have one here for 350. I'll probably put in the description the 350 one because it's not even the lowest price on Newegg right now. Like, th- there's no way around it. Like, you can get these, you, you, you can get these cards for about the price of Alchemist, anyways. And you don't have to deal with any of this crap. You get DLSS and the 6650 XT. There are multiple models for 285. $285, same performance, if not way better most of the time. Actually, most averages found this stronger. So, and, and you're saving, uh, uh, it's not good. And, and these weird arguments I've seen about future-proofing, guys, you're, what you're saying is, because even if I pull up, like, and I, and I directly covered this in my video, my analysis video, like, even if I go to some of these best-case scenarios, supposedly, um... Like if I try to remove the hardware scheduler bottleneck by going into 4K so it's fully saturated and it gains a ton. Like at this, it beats the 3060 by like 20%, the A770. Okay, but it's still like 30, 40% behind a 3070. So your best case scenario, which means it's probably like 10, like 20% behind a 6700 XT, even in this game with ray tracing on. What you're saying is you're going to save like 20% now to get worse performance than something that costs 30% 30% less than your card now in the hopes that one year from now, the drivers will be so optimized that you're only 10% weaker than a card, the 6700 XT that you could have gotten now for 400. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like a weird version of the uh, GCN fine wine argument where I think you could probably say like the 7,000 series from the, GPU 7000 series from AMD, like people always talk about that being a fine wine thing or the the fine wine meme argument where its performance kept getting better over time. But at least at the time when those cards came out, the performance wasn't several tiers lower than it should have been. (laughs) And I think that's what we are now with uh, Intel Arc. I mean, that Arc Alchemist. And it's already been delayed six months. And this is still where they're at. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the A770 will age into being a 6700 XT at some point. It could. But I wouldn't bet on that unless you're really willing to roll the dice with having either a card that remains kind of... not. I can't say crappy. Fine price performance right now. Slightly worse than what's on the market uh, with less stability for the hopes that you might get a 6700 XT because it's a, it's a very big might. Like I, I wouldn't bet that it's going to get to that. Hopefully it does and it will be good if it does, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why you would bet on that. Yeah. And again, guys, the cards they're selling now, they made in quarter one. They use the volume we could have used when there are actually shortages shoved it into warehouses, and now they're dumping it when no one needs it. And they have no plans to make more. I've got this triple verified now that at least right now, you shouldn't expect any more production of Alchemists. They're going to do some limited launch. And I think maybe there will be okay availability on Newegg and Amazon. Um, 
we'll see. But after that, that's it. And they're not making any more. And Battle Mage is over a year away if it comes out. I already know they've canceled most of the Battle Mage lineup. It's basically like one low-end laptop card in like early, mid-2024. Arc's canceled, guys. So you're buying into something that is dubious future prospects as well, hoping it will age well. Buy at your own risk. I mean, seriously. And I know you... I, again... My best evidence for how much I wanted this to succeed is all of my content last year. I, I've rewatched some of my videos and it's hilarious how optimistic I was. But I have to call spade a spade. It's not good. And yeah. it, I, I just can't give bad advice. Um, Sammy Good writes in and he says, I was basically on the arc sucks, but at least there is another option team. But the Moore's Law Z A770 analysis video has me changing my mind recently. It's not enough to just be another GPU company, it seems. It actually has to be competitive to be beneficial to the market. The point about Intel wasting TSMC supply hit me hard. But at this point, can anyone really enter discrete graphics without making a few duds? I don't know. Nonetheless, I'm still disappointed that the duopoly won't be upset anytime soon. Well, he touches on this too. I was shocked. Gamers Nexus, multiple reviews said, AMD's drivers are really good now and they're offering... Um, almost too good value. Almost too good value? So Intel's help to this market is making it seem like AMD should charge more and wasting supply? I don't see that. how that helps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of what you're getting is, I mean, look at this. The past two years look good by comparison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know. The way you make bring competition to a market is you make the competition look bad. They have not done that and they've wasted supply. So I, any argument that they're helping so far, you can make the opposite argument. And I'm telling you guys, they're not making more in battle mages over a year away. And it's like one low end die. So there's your help. I, I, I don't, I don't, don't believe in buying things <laughs> to, to prop up a bad thing. You buy something because it serves you well. Fuck yeah. these companies. Buy what's best for you. Yeah, I mean, unless it's a scrappy startup like Intel. Yeah, with 120,000 employees. The way people are acting like this is an indie startup is just... I, I mean, I, do, I bet AMD and NVIDIA wish they could get this kind of uh, <laughs> weird, brainwashed, free support on a bad product. I mean, go look at 3070 Ti reviews and 6500 XT reviews. Um, what would people have said if NVIDIA launched this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on. I'm so tired of talking about this card. I don't know whatever man writes in and he says, Hey, Tom and Dan, theoretical question. What would Raja Ryan and Intel's Tom Peterson, not you, have to do to get discrete arc uncanceled? Well, look, I've already been talking about this openly in this episode. You know, I'm going to cover it in a comprehensive look forward for Intel because I do think they have some great products coming. 34 core fit shock falls might be one of them. But this is not it. You know, I think what's obviously happening is Intel knows this market is just a shit show. Like launching uncompetitive graphics cards is bad business to do. It's like their job is not to lose money. It's bad business. So I think they're going to try to get trickle out these cards where they can. And then I think what's going on is Pat saying to AXG, hey, guys, not exactly great. You got one year. And, and Pat wants this to succeed. He wants it to. But he... I think he's going to give them a year. You have one year to prove that you can make Alchemist perform like a 36 CTI or 3070. And then to prove Battle Mage, one die, you only have to make one die, guys, is on track for like early 2024. 
And I already know of several celestial configurations that have been canceled. So I think what he's saying is we are putting the minimum amount of money into the roadmap that we can to just barely pretend it's not canceled. And if things don't improve over six months, it's done. They're basically putting this division into hibernation for two years, and we'll see if they start it back up. It, it, and so basically, they need to fix Alchemist, and Battle Mage needs to be a home run. I, You know, you can't ax something this big without giving them every chance to fix it. I, I think that's what it would take. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 hibernation might not be the right way to put it. It sounds like a probation period maybe but (laughs) maybe i i i i don't know the internal workings of intel i guess though so but i i mean for me to see it be quote-unquote uncancelled i guess i battle mage needs to be better (laughs) a lot better than what alchemist was for us to begin having a conversation about well is this doing well now Mm -hmm. like if like maybe if they launched like three mid-range to high-end dies in 2024 and they didn't have stability issues they won't <laughs> that w- that would be a big reversal but i i don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i don't think so i think it's like one low-end laptop die and if it is competitive in performance and efficiency then they'll go all right we're gonna keep funding the the celestial dies so but uh, I already know some of them have been canceled. Again, I'm kind of giving away too much from a leak I want to do eventually. But let's just leave it at that. Rafa Zaya writes in and he says, Hey, Tom, would you bet an ARC A380 that people won't be able to buy an ARC GPU at Micro Center in June 2023? Does the answer change if the bet is for $20? It's hard for me to do like a big bet, although that's not that expensive of a bet, because I hear they actually have some A380s at Micro Centers right now. And I just don't know how many people, because it's like, who's going to buy these for collector's items and who just doesn't want to touch this rat poison? Like, that's what I don't <laughs> know. And so would I bet $20 though that they won't be there? Yes, because I know they're not making anymore. So yeah, like, I mean, what's there now? That's all that's ever going to be. It's a, <laughs> it's a matter of who decides to buy this for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, TMC Payton writes and he says, Howdy, Tom. With GPUs and CPUs, each company chooses to make a certain number of dies that vary in cost and performance potentially years before the final product segmentation is decided, with each additional die requiring more resources. Yeah, I mean, each die can cost tens of millions of dollars to design, for the, to make the hard design is what it's called. How does a company decide what die configurations to create? How much of a product segmentation decision making happens during the die design versus after the dies are complete? Well, I mean, it varies. It's impossible to answer that question entirely concretely, but they do R&D with FPGAs. You know, they design a master architecture and then do little simulations on FPGAs. And then based on that is where they get their dies from. And uh, how much of the segmentation is decided in the beginning versus the M? I think what they do is they're like, well, this will cost about this much. So we need at least one mega die for Lovelace, for example. And uh, then we're going to at least want another high-end die, a couple that we can maybe make mid-range, and we're going to want a couple dies that are so small we can package them as MX cards eventually. Like for an NVIDIA example, mm-hmm. that's that's basically what they do. When you look at Alchemist, clearly what Intel was thinking was is we're going to try to barely be high-end. They failed at that. And then we're going to make one low-end die. We're not going to bother with anything else, though, because we don't know that we have the resources. Personally, I think they should have just made one high-end die, or what they 
tried to make high end and then made it mid range or low end. Low end. Yeah. yeah, Which is what they're kind of doing with Battle Mage, it sounds like. Um, But uh, I mean, yeah, it's hard to answer concretely, but it's a mix. And that's basically the best answer I think I can give right now. Um, All right. Let us then please throw this band aid in the trash and move on to story number four. Sorry. Story. Sorry. I'm so disgruntled by Alchemist, guys. By. To story number five. All right, here's the write-up here. RTX 4090 launch volume, 4070 pictures, Titan and RDNA 3 whispers leaked by Moore's Law is Dead. On the Friday night before NVIDIA's 4090 launch week, Tom at Moore's Law is Dead leaked a waterfall of NVIDIA information. In summary, the RTX 4090 will be in very high supply on week one compared not only to Ampere, but by all sources, also compared to all recent high-end GPU launches in recent memory. NVIDIA does not expect these to sell out. They have indicated this to AIBs to not be worried. They still have cards in stock when when they launch. Additionally, the RTX 4090 is impressing reviewers that Tom has talked to. It performs around 80% better than the 3090 and raster and sometimes higher, which by the way is the exact estimates we gave Dan last year. And it also more than doubles ray tracing performance over the 3090, which I rechecked my Lovelace leak from March, Dan. I said 25 to 50% higher ray tracing performance over raster. (laughs) Right on the money again. And this is the surprise. It actually, the 4090 has less scary power spikes than the other 450-watt card, the 3090 Ti. Furthermore, Moore's Law Z has leaked early pictures of the RTX 4070 that depicts a mid-range GPU with a cooler that can best be described as a slightly smaller 3080 that has been lovely sized. And it's likely launching in quarter one, and it seems to basically be a more efficient RTX 3080 with significantly better ray tracing that probably costs, honestly, only a little less than a 3080, if not the same as a 3080, if we're being honest. And, well, that's the best... That pricing and segmentation is going to depend on how good RDNA 3 is, which it seems is likely to be very competitive in raster as well and priced a little lower than Lovelace at least. And it will have a display advantage as well. Having DisplayPort 2.0 support versus NVIDIA's only DisplayPort 1.4 with Lovelace. So this leak was one of those pretty comprehensive big ones, Dan's. (laughs) Big Big ones, Dan, not Dan's. There's not a plural Dan in front of me. Um, I mean, what 4090 performance efficiency, 4070 tight. Oh yeah. Titan. Um, I forgot to even put that in the write up. Oh yeah. The Titan is canceled for now because it was melting itself and power supplies at 600 to 700 Watts. And I, they just need more time to tune it and then react to RDNA three. Sorry. I forgot to say that guys. Uh, what'd you think of all this information? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, honestly, the thing I'm most excited about potentially is availability, because if there's availability, I think the price is less uh, anchored. I, I think the price is not going to be above MSRP and maybe it might actually drop to some extent this year, uh, which I don't know, praying that prices drop eventually at some point. I mean, the idea of a fort, uh 4070 essentially being a 3084. I mean, I'm not going to bet any money on what the price will be, but like uh, $650 or something is kind of uh, depressing. <laughs> but I, I bet that's where it's priced at, you know? Um, but I don't know. High availability 4090 isn't really something I was expecting. 
Uh, expecting when? A month ago or like half a year ago? Uh, a month ago, I would probably would have expected better than the 3090, but six months ago, I would have expected, you know, not good. Well, you know, it's just such a sign that things are changing, right? That this market is turning into a buyer's market, not a seller's market, finally, after two years of just bullshit for the buyers. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, and the pricing's on Newegg. The pricing's on Micro Center. These graphics cards are at, at pretty close to MSRP. There are multiple $1,600 models. The slightly nicer coolers, they argue nicer. I don't know if I agree that they're nicer than the founders, um, are like $1,700. And the liquid-cooled models are like seventeen dollars to $1,800. Asus has some insanely huge Star Cruiser uh, <laughs> 4090 that's like two grand, but everything else is pretty close to MSRP. And uh, I guess I'll say I'm I'm confident I'm going to get one, uh, whether through a partner, possibly even finally someone, some partner acknowledges this channel exists and tries to help us out with like an early review, or I'll just I'll just see if I can get a hold of one and buy it myself to review it for you guys. So I think this is going to be an interesting one to test here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it definitely will be. Yeah, the, the just. Just from the uh, perspective of the massive gulf in uh in variability they're showing for the performance you'll get out of these, I, th- I, I think uh, reviews for it are going to be very interesting to see how this actually ends out. Now, does this surprise you? Because I've talked to a few reviewers ahead of time, and they said they're incredibly impressed. Did and, and I, I'm expecting more positive reviews than I would have expected. For the pricing a while ago, but it's like it seems like they're saying, "Hey, look, it's double the price of a 3080 and it's t- over twice as good and way more efficient than we expected." So, if you want the best, this doesn't feel like as much of a milking spree as the thirty ninety. It yeah, just doesn't. If they're generally at MSRP and they offer like seventy to eighty percent better rasterization performance, it seems what it's going to be about. I think I'm hearing over 80, by the way. So I don't think uh, it depends on the NVIDIA slide. Over 80% is not two to four times NVIDIA. But the 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 slides that we that didn't seem like, oh, go on. I'm sorry. The the reason I always say that, though, so I see they're like 80% plus better performance. uh, There's a couple scenarios where it's like 75. Yeah. But the reason I, I always go back to thinking that it's not going to be that level of performance is whenever nvidia puts out a slide about lovelace it seems like they're trying to hide something from me you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like they put out that uh overwatch uh slide to show its performance and the 3090 wasn't in the slide why didn't you put a 3090 there what were you trying to hide from me? I mean, I, I think I, it was probably them trying to hide that the 4080 12 gigabyte gets worse performance than the 39. That's exactly what it is. But <laughs> to me, if you do that math, if you extend out the math, it looks like, well, we compare the 3080 to the 4090's performance and we mentally put where the 3090 would be. Oh, it probably isn't going to be. Uh, in that range that they keep telling us it's going to be in of two to four times. I don't think it's going to be like 50% more. Again, but the two m- to four times. The uh, Maybe I'm just too used to this bullshit. Like when I see two to four times, my brain just blocked it out. I'm like, not that one. But like, uh, So I don't even concentrate on that. Like, I don't think it's going to be like 40% stronger in that game than a 3090. But I don't know. I'm p- just projecting the ma- uh, the 3090 into that benchmark. And I'm like, 
probably 65, 75% stronger uh, than the 3090 in at least that game that they showed off. Well, keep in mind, though, that was running five. You're talking about the Overwatch 2 thing. Yeah, it was running shared. like 500 uh, at, at 500 uh, FPS or something. But well, well, that brings up another thing. I am told this thing is massively CPU bottleneck, that gaming in 1440p is an absolute waste of time, that <laughs> even in 4K, this thing struggles in some games to not be CPU bottlenecked, even with like Zen 4. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that's not a surprise. Uh, it, it's going to be pretty easily the strongest card ever put on the market. I mean, and every time the new card is put on the market, it's the strongest card on the market. So that's not saying that much, but still. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny though. This makes me start thinking about it. Like there's no way around it. I think the 4090 is going to get as good of reviews as it could get. Look, it's $1,600. That's not cheap. It uses 450 watts. But by all accounts, this 450 watts is a much more tame 450 watts than the 3090 Ti. So I think people are going to look at this and go, oh, you're doubling performance over the 3090 while using 30% more energy. Like I'm told if you cap this at the, like 350 watts, you get like 70% more performance or more like than the 3090. So you're talking about something that's going to be a killer laptop architecture, actually if not still expensive. But I, I think if this gets good reviews, there's no way around it. The 4080s are going to get horrible reviews, I think. I th- uh, it, yeah, I guess that's what you said earlier, like when we will, that we'll touch on it later with Lovelace. I, I think I agree. Uh, if the 4090 is $1,600, reviewers are going to say, it's not that much more expensive and it is a lot better. This isn't that bad. Then you're going to look at the... F- the 4080 uh brothers <laughs> and yeah it's like i don't know these things both suck i don't know what they were thinking with this uh i i, I think the 4080s are yeah they're gonna get panned by reviewers because it, it's like they weirdly thought that having this offering of a 4090 not be too grand would like appease the market it, but and to, the, to an extent where we wouldn't be mad about <laughs> having uh, a 4080 and basically a 4070 being priced at $1,200 and $900 respectively. Well, yeah, and here's the funny thing too. Like, I just don't under, I still don't get it. Like what they were thinking with this 4080 naming. Oh, I get it. We've talked about that. We've beaten that horse to death. I get why they think they can do the 4080 thing. But the fact is they priced the 4080 16 gigabyte at $1,200. This is TI pricing from previous gens. So I just call it a $900 4070. Like you weren't afraid to call that that. So I, I don't... I don't understand. And like, if you think about the performance difference between the 4090 and the 4080... I think it's like 40% or so. So it's like, I just, why isn't the 4080, you can call it a 4080, 16 gigabyte, but why isn't that a grand? And why didn't you make this like a $800 or $750, 4070? Like you weren't afraid to say the 4080 is 1200. So I don't understand why you're afraid to call this a 4070 and make it like 800. I I don't understand. Yeah. uh, Once again, it's like they thought this would be like a cool marketing trick when it's like, all it did was make everybody hyper focus on it and say, why are you calling that a 4080 though? This is weird. Right. And this gets to the part of the video where I talked about the 4070, which, you know, I put on screen like 
I think enough information to get an idea for what the 4070 is going to look like. I will have more pictures coming eventually, I believe, but I want to get something out now that can conceptualize what you guys should expect this to look like as early as possible. But I'll, I'll have better looking stuff soon. I just I just had to be very careful with the source. Um, so as you can guess, I don't want to lose this one. Um, nor do I want anyone to obviously get in trouble. But uh, the 4070 pricing and performance part, I'm like, so interestingly, I guess NVIDIA is telling some reviewers different specs for the 4070 on what to expect. So they're clearly just messing with people and trying to suss out which reviewer would leak things. So there's no point to me saying, but what I pulled up is what Copite 7 Kimmy said was an 80104 configuration being tested, which was a cut down 104 with 10 gigabytes of RAM. So like, I think it was cut down by like 7% with CUDA cores and then 20% less bandwidth or something. And it's like, whatever it is, they could decide to make it 12 gigabytes if they want to or keep it 10 gigabytes. It's going to be something 85 to 95% the performance of the 4080 12 gigabyte. And I don't know where you price that where it doesn't also look stupid because they've just gone so off the rails with 4080 pricing that it's like, so if RDNA 3 is impressive, what will you price something with 12 gigabytes, 95% the performance of the 4080 12 gigabyte shafting anyone who bought that, although I suspect many people won't. But then still, like, what do you price this at? Like, 700, even 600 people might complain. They've just left no room in their product stack to not be insane with the pricing of this too. And I, I don't, it's basically just going to be a 3080 for 3080 pricing that's more efficient with better ray tracing quarter yeah. one. I, I don't, can you see a scenario where they price the 4070 where people aren't upset? Uh, not unless they price it for like $550 or something. So <laughs> 550 with 12 gigabytes? Yeah, that'd be a hilarious slap to the 4080 gigabyte buyers. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I don't know then. I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only other thing I want to add to this uh, part of the conversation is, I mean, you know, I, I think it's very obvious they plan to have a 600 watt BIOS option. They chose not to because the Titan that was like 650 watts was melting Power supplies and sometimes itself, apparently. Apparently, Lovelace loses some of that power spiking advantage when you push it over 500 watts. <laughs> Surprise. Um, but that the fact that they're using, because think about this, right? The 4090, Dan, is a light 450 watts. It's less power spikes, more stable than the 3090 Ti. Why are they using the same three-slot cooler for the 4080-16 gigabyte? I think there's no way around it. They're going to make that a 375-watt card, too. Oh, probably, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, but besides that, I guess I just want to move on to the one AMD portion of the video. I don't, it's not really its own story, but I think it deserves a change in uh, lighting. So what do you think about... What do you expect out of RDNA 3? Because I covered two things. Number one, Lovelace weirdly only has DisplayPort 1.4, which isn't... There's not any 2.0 monitors right now, to my knowledge, so it's not like a huge deal now. But a year from now, there will be, and uh, I mean, from what I've seen, DisplayPort 2.0 will be able to support like I forgot, like I think 4K 300 with 8-bit color and like 4K 240 hertz with 10-bit color and HDR and like 1440p up to 500 hertz or something insane. Like these cards are sold for a year or more or two, like. This is something a year from now, AMD can say RDNA 3, only one who can support these monitors. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a, a marketing thing. I 
I, I don't know how much that matters because I frankly don't know if most people even pay attention to what HDMI ports are put into their graphics cards. They I think they assume they put the right one in, quote unquote, if they even think about it, because I also don't know if a lot of people even ever think about the fact that there's multiple different standards for HDMI and DisplayPort that exist at the same time. Well, I would say this is a weird move for NVIDIA, who usually is at the forefront of a lot of these DisplayPort options. It is. It's, it's, it's kind of a blow to the L6000, right? The L6000 doesn't even have an HDMI, so it's just limited to four DisplayPorts. Yeah, I, I mean, it is weird, and it's a weird thing to cheap out on because may, maybe I'm wrong, but I assume this isn't that expensive of a component. I don't know. I, I know HDMI 2.1 cost a lot. A, I don't know if it's a lot, but no, like maybe ten, like ten dollars more at first for some manufacturers than HDMI 2.0. So there was some argument there, but yeah, I, I don't know about DisplayPort. I guess I don't know. Um, and then uh, what else can I say about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the final thing I'd say is remember, guys, this this hit. Damn, the Lovelace is exactly the performance we said it would be a year and a half ago. Those same sources said RDNA three has the same or higher raster. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see RDNA 3. I don't really have too much more to say about it, I don't think, until they actually freaking unveil it. But I mean, Angstronomics leaked the specs, supposedly, and I have yeah. can back up most of them, and we've known the performance for a while. The, the wild card is ray tracing, and I asked someone today, and they're like, we still don't know. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> Lovelace, but we don't know. Yeah, hopefully it does. I mean, once again, I don't <laughs> I don't think it will. I. I Although I would say I was hoping RDNA 3 would catch up to in-ray tracing by now, but I guess that is an RDNA 4 thing, hopefully. RDNA 4 is supposedly really, really, they're focusing on it is what I've heard. But um, I guess, yeah, I, would you t think people should wait for RDNA 3? or cause My advice would be, hey, if you're using the 4090 for work and play, it's probably good to buy now if you can fit it in your case, uh, which the Founders Edition actually... It's a little shorter in length than the 3090 and 3090 Ti. So you might be able to actually fit that in a lot of cases. These AIBs have gone absolutely insane. I mean, what J2 said said that <laughs> tweet of it, like the Asus one looks almost as big as a PS5. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with that. But I would say don't be afraid to get that. But would you agree there's just no reason to touch these 4080s and RDNA 3 just looks like it'll be such a better option? Yeah, if there's a reason to get a 4090, get it. and don't get the other two cards is mm -hmm. how I would put it right now. Yeah. yeah well, we'll see. Well, let's move on to the reader mails for these subjects. Uh, Siphos writes in, he says, Hey, Tom and Dan, what do you think of the rumors that the 4080, 16 and 12 gigabyte were declared X80 cards to leave enough space to sandwich the 7,900 XC in between them? Do you think NVIDIA and AMD have such specific information on one another? Or is the whole thing rather improbable? If it were true, how would it affect pricing of the 40 series and 7,000 series cards? I would suggest that they what they've done, they think the 4080 12 gigabyte might tie the 7900 XT in ray tracing. I think that's what they think. But outside of that, I think half of the reason these are priced where they are is because they just cost more to make than Ampere. And they just don't want to undercut the 
Ampere cards still in stock. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's what it is. And they know they can drop prices if they need to. And calling it an 80 means maybe they'll convince some people to buy it for 900. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, uh, all we talked, uh, I was thinking is the fact that there's so much availability with Ampere still, uh, when they announced this pricing might drop through the floor and what they did was just say, no, we're just going to price these cards in a, a way that we don't have to slash Ampere pricing ever. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So Mark writes in. Oh, hi, Mark. He says, hi, Tom. Have you heard anything about what kind of performance penalties can be expected from running a 4080 or 4090? Well, those are two different cards on a PCIe Gen 3 platform like C390. I mean, there. I think there's going to be bottlenecks. There's no way around it. With a 4090, there will be. This thing's since 20, 2012. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Like, we'll see how substantial they are. I think, generally speaking, PCIe uh bottlenecks are blown a little bit out of proportion because usually it's like look at the old platform it's huge and in the worst edge case it's like five percent loss in performance but gem 3 is pretty old 49 decade old 49 is pretty new yeah yeah (laughs) you might actually see like uh, 20 percent. i think some games yeah you might actually see a substantial performance loss in some games that wouldn't surprise me having said that though I think people misunderstand my point when I say that. And and I remember even with RDNA 2 and, and the 3090 with PCIe Gen 3, a couple games where there was like a 5% loss or something, especially with RDNA 2, I think. You know what, guys? There's always a bottleneck in your system. So I have a 3950X. I'm going to put a 4090 in it, 99% chance. And in most games, it will make no difference. In some games... Even below 120 hertz, I might get a 10% drop. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I'm going to build a whole new system for that? Probably not. What you have to think is you can get a 4090 now if if you will make use of it now. Make sure you have a powerful monitor. Like I have 4K 120 hertz and I will use it for work. But if you do, do, then you can use that now and then upgrade your uh, platform in a year to Zen 5 or Zen 4X 3D or something, you know, but there's always a bottleneck. So do Mm -hmm. I expect one? Yes, of course I do. But whether it's 5 or 20%, you're always going to have a bottleneck, right? Yeah. Uh, Q for Kumbo writes in, says, hey, Tom and Dan. He says, hey, Tom, hey, hey, Tom and Dan. Mm. Oh, very creative. He says, with DLSS 3 effectively being a super frame warp, how can we trust any NVIDIA performance slides ever again? What is stopping NVIDIA from arbitrarily cranking up the number of interpolation slides between real slides and claiming the 4, 8, and 16x times and improved frame rates with this? Nothing. I mean, I think the thing that's stopping them theoretically is if they started doing three interpolation slides for every real I mean, frame for every real frame, the game would look like shit. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but it already doesn't look very good. Or there's already it seems like there's already a, seemingly some pretty huge hits to uh, image quality uh, when they're just doing that with every other ish frame it seems like uh so i think that's i think that's what it is but also i mean i don't really trust any of nvidia slides are i'm (laughs) skeptical about every slide nvidia shows for performance like i think i've been pretty open about that with 
every slide we've discussed from uh, NVIDIA that we talked about. Yeah, and I think people think when I get excited that the 4090 doesn't seem to absolutely suck. Maybe my expectations for every launch now is just so low that the fact that it seems (laughs) like the 4090 doesn't completely suck is what makes me excited. But again, those 2 to 4X slides, those ridiculous slides, it's like, oh, but my brain just doesn't even remember them. It's like useless information. So there's nothing filed. It's like, I'm like, oh, but no, this is what they said here. Yeah, I know that that wasn't the uh, other three slides that said bullshit, but I just don't even pay attention to those anymore. Yeah. And I'll say if NVIDIA stops doing that, I'll stop looking at these. I'll stop being suspicious of their slides, but they need to stop doing weird things with their slides. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you hiding this information from me? It feels like you're hiding it from me, at least. Yeah. And again, you know, what I put in the notes for that question was, let's just cross that bridge when we get there. Do I think they're going to show some 600% increase in performance in one game and be like, look, it's worth 10 grand. We're charging only 1600. Yeah, they might. But that's why we have reviewers to keep them honest. Yeah, hopefully. This fall, where you're trying to stay warm and avoid scary activation fees for Windows software, consider using CDKeyOffer.com. CDKeyOffer.com is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead and its community for any time anyone in this community needs legitimate Windows keys and doesn't feel like paying excessive monopolistic licensing fees to get access to them. But that's not all they offer either. They also have great deals on PlayStation, Steam, Origin, and Uplay keys, and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards as well. They are always running sales, but make sure you use the best codes possible provided for the Moore's Laws Dead community. Use the link in the description or on screen, and then use the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. This really does help Moore's Laws Dead when you use these keys and click these links, and it helps you pay reasonable prices for products that let's face it you just kind of need sometimes and you don't want to overpay for go to cdkeyoffer.com today um tick dickler writes in and he says i think sony's actually going to do a die shrink of the ps5 aren't they i'm just speculating but it feels like after the gpu crash they could get a shit ton of seven nanometer for good rates so should they shrink the ps5 to six nanometer well tick dickler the answer is yes because it's cheaper to go to six nanometer and TSMC is pushing people to switch to six nanometer. And actually that brings us to story number six, which I guess I'll do this color for Sony. We'll go with a light blue for Sony. How about that? PS5 gets a die shrink to six nanometer Oberon Plus. Quoting again from Angstronomics, In the last month, Sony has begun the rollout of their latest revision of the PlayStation 5, model CFI-1202. There has already been a teardown showing the model's redesigned board and cooling that is smaller and lighter. Power consumption is also reduced while giving similar performance to the 7 nanometer variant of the PS5. To accomplish this, AMD's semi-custom design teams have ported the PS5 silicon to TSMC 6 nanometer, as TSMC is telling them to, by the way, codenamed Oberon Plus. Extronomics reveals exclusive images of this new, smaller die, and we discuss how and the why behind this update in this article. So, along with an 18.8% increase in logic transistor density, thanks to CPODE, which you can learn about in another article on Extronomics, 
N6 also lowers power consumption for a given performance level versus N7. This is what enables the reduced wall power of the latest PS5 revision with less requirements for heat rejection and hence a smaller, lighter cooler as well. As TSMC completes its transition to increase EUV adoption and move most products to N6 from N7, we get updates like Oron Plus. Most fabulous companies which just design a new product on N6 game consoles demand absolute low-level platform hardware and software compatibility. And this is why we see the exact same design being ported with zero configuration changes, including keeping up with the reduced floating point unit in the Zen 2 CPU cores, which we will also see in the Ryzen 7020 series Mendocino. The game console business works on selling hardware cheap and generating revenue and game sales. As such, it's paramount to minimize production costs to generate meaningful, meaningful profit margins with the aforementioned smaller die and lighter cooler enabled by lower power consumption. Extronomics estimates that the new PS5 going forward costs Sony around 12% less to make overall, which also helps keep to recoup program development costs sooner than if a no die shrink took place. As the PS5 is the most produced out of three next-generation consoles. It sees the biggest benefit moving to N6 first. Going forward, Oberon Plus will be produced. And the 7-nanometer variant is spin completely stopped. Well, one can make near 50% more PS5 chips per wafer than an Xbox Series X chip already. The later will also get a 6-nanometer update for Arden in the future, which I also leaked that. 6-nanometer Xbox Series <laughs> S is coming. I expect the Series S to be die-shrinked first because that's the one they're selling more of. But, uh... Yeah, here we are. I, what do you? This has been rumored that this would happen for a while. What do you think about this six nanometer PS5? Uh, I mean, there's not much of a functional change to anybody that has a PS5, but you know, hopefully, it makes it lighter, cheaper, and easier to ship. Because <laughs> that's still this generation, especially at the PS5, the biggest mm-hmm. challenge they need to overcome is being able to sell enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think what's really interesting about this is I've seen people say, well, oh, six nanometer is not really a half node shrink. And it's like, well, what we're looking at is a perfect case study of someone who didn't go for anything but density. And they managed a 19% smaller die going from seven to six. And it still uses less power that yep. goes to t- show what's possible on six nanometer if you actually design a new product for it. Because my understanding is the 6500 XT didn't get as many benefits as it could have going to 6 nanometer from 7. But we know Navi 33 is on 6 nanometer. And so now we know, at a minimum, they could probably get a 6700 XT 20% smaller and clocked a little faster if the yeah. architecture was designed from the ground up to maximize 6 nanometer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's not as big of a node shrink as like Yes, some of those massive increases you see from Intel when they ever ever they get to a new node, but eh, the tiny incremental node shrinks or density increases that uh, uh, TSMC is able to get year over year is still impressive. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the only other thing I can think to bring up about this is it's interesting they're still shipping it with that gigantic chassis. They Sony typically releases a slim model around now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's typically when a slim model comes out. And this seems to be the perfect die shrink to switch to the to a new chassis and maybe it still will be ultimately the the uh uh the uh SOC that goes into the 
PS5 Slim, but for some reason they've decided not to announce it yet. I, I, I can't think of why they wouldn't. This is perfect timing to release their Slim model, and I don't think they will, but <laughs> like... It would be nice if they cut the freaking price by like 50 bucks or something, but mm. they don't oh, need it, You're to. saying it'd be nice if they cut the price. They don't need to, so I don't think they're going to, but... <sighs> well, what did he say? He estimates 12% less to make overall. Yeah, but I know that some costs went up. Some of those costs have come back down again. Yeah, I guess we'll see. What I think's going on, by the way, the fact that they're using the same chassis, I, I literally think, remember, these are expensive injection molds that they use to make millions of consoles. My guess is they got this six nanometer die and they're like, yeah, good, we'll do that now. And we'll just find a way to keep using the old chassis until we're ready with the new chassis. But like we can save 12% right now, just with the die shrink alone. Let's get rid of seven nanometer switch to this and then we'll get working on the slim. So I don't know when the slim's gonna come out, but you have to imagine like at this point, this thing requires like, they've already cut the cooler like, weight in half, I think, on last year's revision before even moving to six nanometer. So my guess is they can make this thing at least half as big, which saves on shipping costs, production uh, material costs, it, probably some sem- assembly cost savings there because they don't need as elaborate of a vent and you know fan and cooling design with how much less energy this uses. I think if they want to, it is just enough to drop this to 449, uh, but they don't they haven't prepared all the other stuff to do it yet, so they're not going to. And you know they've got to be wondering, NVIDIA just announced a fucking $900 4070. <laughs> they're calling a 4080. Do we need to drop this to 450 and be half the cost? Probably not, but eh, if it gets more people to, if they think it gets more, a lot more people to adopt it, I think they would. And having a slim model aside, oh, it seems to always reinvigorate sales to some extent, especially because Especially if uh, people like the design more or something. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people that want it. We're waiting for the smaller slim too because of very divisive this this uh, chassis design. PS5 is a, is a big boy. <laughs> it's a big boy for sure. I mean, so I don't know. I, I guess what I would say is I'm get, you know they're designing the slim right now. I'm sure they can make it half as big. I'm sure combined with the die cost savings, the cooling cost savings, and then the smaller package, they can make this 450. My guess is they will prepare everything, prepare the marketing materials and the shipping, and then they're just going to see we can keep it in stock now this fall. Is it still selling through, though, at the rate we want? If it drops off at all, I bet they do a price drop or something. Mm-hmm. And which would be a good thing to do right before you launch VR early next year so that it's cheaper to bundle them together. Yeah. Uh, which maybe they'll just wait for that, actually, and just milk this holiday season. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably what they'll do. But uh, let us move on to story number seven. Stadia killed off and Google didn't even warn developers beforehand. <laughs> Quoting PC Gamer, the news that Stadia is shutting down is a little surprising, but I think it's fair to say that no one is doing a spit take and cleaning coffee off their screen when they see the news. The Stadia offer just never sounded very good. Here are some games you like, but the video compression, extra input lag, and other internet problems, and they cost the full price plus a subscription fee of a console if you want 4K streaming. Look, there were some good features, and Stadia did work as well as any game streaming can seem to work, try to work right now, but Google really, Leroy Jenkins, the whole thing we think by launching it before it was ready, cavalierly starting an in-house game studio, and then axing it after a year and making a ludicrous ad that failed to communicate why anyone should even take uh, a chance on the service. 
And this all seems to be a classic Google. There's a website dedicated to memorializing the products the search and advertising giant has buried. Maybe that bold willingness to fail is why Google has a market cap of over a trillion dollars, and I don't. But it's not great for the people who trusted their company's commitment to Stadia. Stadia users are going to lose access to their games. That sucks that they paid for. And although they're getting refunds, a lot of save files are just going to disappear into the void. Meanwhile, game developers who are making Stadia versions of their games to the the hour this was announced apparently wasted their time. And based on the reactions we're seeing from them on Twitter, they found out that Stadia is a gunner at the same time the public did. From disappointment to I told you so's, here's how the game industry is taking the news. And then it goes on from there. So yeah, I remember this was shared in one of our friends like Messenger threads or something. And we didn't really talk about it that much. I think like it says, it's a bit surprising, but no one's no one did a spit take. Wasn't that surprising? I mean, here we are, Dan. Stadia's dead. What do you think? I mean, that's what these companies that have that uh, have their tendrils and everything do, like Google, Facebook, whatever. It's just Intel. They're, they're willing to make a bunch of different products that ninety percent of them are going to fail, and they're just going to unceremoniously axe them if they don't think they're performing well. And that's what happened with Stadia. Stadia was always like a, a weird service that I don't think was very compelling. So it's not, it's not a surprise Stadia is gone at this point. If mm-hmm. they would have done anything to differentiate it, it, to make it seem like it was providing some value, maybe it could have succeeded. But it's like, I, I, I guess the, the hope of it was you did, wouldn't have to have a strong computer or a console to play video games, but... You, then you're making people pay a subscription fee and also pay for games and the games don't work well. Like mm-hmm. the, it's, it's all bad basically. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny when stadia was first announced, do you remember the amount of people saying stadia was going to put every company out of business and consoles were like, that like, was inevitable. If they would have executed something interesting, like it, it could have been more of a threat. Like if they had, done some of the ideas like we talked about even that were potential like having streaming integrated into youtube like with reviews for video games or something like you get free trial periods you can play it on like at right outside of youtube or leave it and play it go from youtube and play the the game you're just watching the review for and that would have been interesting with like that's what me and you agreed right i remember us talking about that like you could have an assassin's creed game be an ad on youtube and then you click the ad and it opens a browser and streams the game to you in 720p that one free hour to play right now try it out but i think they were just starting to pilot that right before they canceled it and i'm like that's the whole service what are you doing yeah and the, i don't know they just didn't have they didn't have any clever monetization for this so it was just you buy games and you pay a subscription service this kind of just sucks from both ends then you know yeah uh monroe writes in and he says with stadia shutting down do you expect other cloud gaming services to also shut down such as dforce now playstation now or xbox cloud do you think this sort of service will eventually become successful or does stadia's downfall prove it's a bad concept what's your answer dan uh, uh streaming is always going to have increased latency that's just a reality of how the internet works so i don't think it's ever going to become the predominant thing that people do when playing video games maybe it gets good enough at some point where people do 
I don't think any of those services are getting asked, though. I think those are all seen as pretty supplemental services to a main thing. Like PlayStation now is a thing that you have if you have enough free time to want to stream some PlayStation games. And I feel like that's the same thing with Xbox Cloud. I, 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 I just think having it as your main console or point of service makes no sense, at least at this point. Yeah, I mean, if I look at how much it costs, you had to pay $130 for a hardware starter kit at first, and then $10 a month. So, like, we, I, I, this is a debate I had. That was funny. This was a debate I had the first time John Petty came on the show, where he was like, I think this is the future. And I said, I don't. <laughs> and I said, because you'll always make a better box. You'll always make a better box. Yeah. This is $130. I'm looking here and $10 a month, a launch on November 19th, huh? my birthday, um, which uh, not a very nice birthday gift to me, Google. But like, if you think about it, like $450 we're saying the PS5 is about to be. So for $450, you're playing locally, better graphics than whatever Stadia is streaming you and there's no latency. Mm-hmm. Like, Like, how can this ever compete with that? And my answer is, well, NVIDIA has all of these servers and they make their own cards. And so that's easy for them to afford to offer as a bonus. Same with PlayStation Now, same with Xbox Cloud. Like, yeah. I think these only work as supplemental things because clearly it, it it's just not cheaper than giving someone a 200 or an Xbox Series S, frankly, probably a better experience than the cloud. Um, and that's like, what, 250, 300 bucks now? I don't even know. And so, like, basically, after one year, you're paying more than an X, about the same as an Xbox Series S anyways. This, it doesn't make sense. You Because think, how are you streaming these graphics? You have to have the hardware somewhere that's the same as what the box would be. So you're just adding a middleman that adds latency. Like, it's stupid. Yeah, and uh, with three years, uh, you would have already paid $500 for this thing. And that's just for the streaming capability and the stupid box they make you buy. So... The value proposition, you buy an Xbox Series X or a PS5, do you think you're going to use it for more than three years? The answer to a person is yes. So I don't know what you're expecting out of this, Google. Uh, If you could have axed the box and charged $5 a month, maybe you have something, but that's it. Well, and the prospect of losing your library, which it looks like they're offering some form of refunds, but not complete refunds. Well, they're offering all- re- they're offering refunds, but you're going to lose saves and everything that you had stored on Stadia. So, and you don't get the money back for what you paid per month. No, which I you guess still is expected. That. But you, there are they totally refunding everything they paid for the games? Let me. I believe so. That's see. what it kind of sounds like. But it still makes you think about it, right? Like, why do people buy games on Xbox or PlayStation or Steam? Because you know your library isn't going to vanish because those companies are probably never going to go out of business and they don't have a history of canceling these services because they've been around for decades. Yeah. And anytime a new experimental streaming thing pops up, I don't know how you don't look at Stadia and go, oh, I don't want to risk my librarian saves disappearing. I still play fall, like some games that are really old and still have saves I go back to, like hundreds of hours in a Fallout game or something. And the idea of that just disappearing because I chose the wrong service is ridiculous. So no, I'm going to choose it on Steam, Xbox, or PlayStation. I'm not trying this. You know, it, it, we just keep seeing this happen. Yeah, whether this or on live <laughs> or whatever that was called. 
All righty, let us then move on here to the final wrap-up. These are the stories that don't get their own stories but are worth mentioning. So the A4000 is now $500 on eBay. I've just got a few links in the description for like (laughs) the price that some of these cards are going down to. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's hilarious. I mean, we're seeing the 3060 Ti drop to almost 350 used we're seeing the a500 a4000 that used to be 1200 be 500 that's a 16 gigabyte card with 3060 ti performance for the same power consumption as a 6600 and professional drivers um i don't know like this is it's getting pretty nuts on ebay but i will say it's starting to level out a little bit i think yeah i mean yeah it's going to have to eventually but once again, when like you said, this is becoming a buyer's market, you know? Yeah. Buy a card if yeah. you need to. Well, and, you know, and we've said this, I suspect it's going to level out now, but then in November, right before RDNA 3 launches, it's going to buckle a little more as people go, ah, it still isn't sold. I got to get rid of these. And, you know, you're right now, there's 3060s being sold in bulk for like 280. So if you need a budget card, there you go. 36 to 12 gigabyte, $280. Yeah. Um, RTX 6000. Yeah, I want to talk about this just for a second here, actually. Uh, the RTX 6000, for some reason, they're not calling it ADA 6000. They're not calling it L6000. They're just calling it RTX 6000 again, which I've heard several people who do distribution and buy up these cards for like servers or their developers that they are pissed that they use the same name. They're like, well, now what are we going to call this? <laughs> um, also, it doesn't have NVLink. Mm. What do you think about that? I I mean I really don't know, man. <laughs> I well I asked some people and they think it is because they're I don't even know the name of them, but they've got like those tensor cards and stuff. They they seriously think they're trying to push you to buy like the ten thousand dollar tensor cards <laughs> instead of this. Of like it really is six thousand, seven thousand for an RTX six thousand isn't enough for Jensen. He needs more leather jackets. So apparently he's pushing them to buy the. Oh, yeah, which a lot of people are pissed. So what, just this is will only really work for systems that have a single uh, RTX 6000 in them or what? Yeah, so this seems like yeah. it doesn't affect most people, but there are people I've been told that do rendering and AutoCAD stuff. And with NVLink, they could get crazy good performance with two A6000s. Now they can only use one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, NVIDIA. <sighs> always trying to get you to purchase the next thing, I guess, you know, I can just not imagine how expensive his leather jackets are at this point, what he can afford. But <laughs> yeah, um, NVIDIA also, though, on the note of NVIDIA is ceasing all activities in Russia and is relocating employees just like Intel went out of their way to help people get out of the country. And again, there's only so many people that can do this work on Earth. So mm-hmm. like it's worth helping them just for good altruistic reasons, but also just selfishly. Um, I don't know that we have much to say about that, right? No. Like, I, I expect basically all tech companies to pull out of Russia, and it's going to be pretty much a wasteland for technology for the next 20 years. Um, let's see. AMD's earnings, not good. Not, not really as surprised. bad of a miss, not as much of a miss as NVIDIA, it seems, or Intel. I think that is the order you put it, Intel, NVIDIA, AMD, in terms of how bad the earnings were. But AMD's earnings were a miss as well. I mean, not a surprise. It seems like there's just a general downturn in tech right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Apple accepts TSMC's price hikes. Now, this was something that was in the news uh, on and off for about a week, Dan. <laughs> TSMC said they're raising prices by 6% basically on all wafers, it sounds like. And Apple said, we don't want to. And then NVIDIA petition said, we don't want to either. And I guess Apple just said, oh, we'll do it. <laughs> but most analysts say 6% given the increase in shipping and like they could, a lot of companies are doing, and Intel's insisting on a 20% price hike for Xeons and stuff. Mm. So I don't know if they're being unfair given inflation. Um, and uh, again, another, all these wrap-ups are pointing to the same discussions. Steam Deck's just in stock. There's no wait. Well, that's pretty dope, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, that was a thing for a while where we weren't sure how long it was going to take for even the people that quote unquote pre-ordered it to uh to uh get it so that's good i guess indubitably well let us move on then to the final reader mails tick dickler writes in yet again tick dicklin all over the place and he says what exactly is nvidia reflex I've heard multiple people each describe it to me in vastly different ways, but the fact of the matter is that it seems to just make up for some latency costs of DLSS3's frame generation, which looks like insanity if it can actually do that, but the frames aren't as good, and there may still be a latency penalty, but the average person won't care, and game reviewers are going to show Cyberpunk's RT overdrive running at triple the FPS, I guess, no matter how good it is, unless AMD has something like this cooking, they might lose the narrative, I worry. But we'll address that separately. Dan, how would you describe... NVIDIA Reflex. I didn't use it at first because at first it seemed to run like crap to me, but I turned it on in Battlefield 2042 and eh, pretty good, actually. Well, it's a little funny that it's becoming a thing that's uh, being this big narrative in the news lately uh, after <laughs> after our last podcast where I kind of just brought up that up in a tweet uh, from a VP at NVIDIA, but uh, it's a couple year old feature that no one really talks about that much until the fact that Nvidia needed to use it to tout that don't worry DLSS doesn't increase latency that much. Uh I tried to look into it like it's pretty hand wavy what they say and how it works or they're just it uh it, it removes uh frames that the CPU uh has in the render queue for the GPU. So communication between the GPU and CPU are more closely or more in sync. That's what they explain reflex does. Mm -hmm. So my guess is it increases CPU overhead to add a, to decrease latency. That's what that sounds like. And if you have a powerful enough CPU, assuming you don't need to, they would argue why you need to be able to hit 500 frames a second. You can't even do it. This lets you cap it at a reasonable frame rate. Oh. And this is probably a gross oversimplification, but like you have five, you have the CPU has sent five frames to be re rendered by the GPU, and then you have an input, and then it throws out three of those frames or something. So the input is closer to, uh, so that so you decrease the latency by getting rid of those frames in the queue, and I'm assuming that gives the CPU more work to do. Because uh, I, I, I saw that also um, in CPU bound games, it doesn't really help latency either. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay. So then, yeah, I think, yeah, so, you're onto something la there. So, la uh, uh, Reflex sounds like a cool feature. Um, it's a couple years old now. It looks like it's getting a lot bigger adoption where 
a ton mm-hmm. of games are suddenly adapting it now. But I think it's mainly just being marketed because they can say with DLSS 3 and Reflex, you get the same SIFs and latency that you would get if, uh, uh, <laughs> or close to the same if you didn't have DLSS on at all, which the unspoken half of that is if you just didn't have DLSS on, this would have way lower system latency. Yeah, I know. But so what do you think about DLSS 3? We've talked about it in depth before. I don't want to dwell on it too much longer here, but he's like, could AMD lose the narrative if they don't have an answer to this? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I think I want to see benchmarks and what the general consensus is on DLSS 3, because as of right now, I'm skeptical on if it's actually a good feature. But if people think like get that added smoothness at the cost of latency in single player games is worth it and it generally doesn't add a bunch of terrible artifacts like you saw in the spider-man game uh i I think that'll be a popular feature even though it's not increasing latency i mean even Mm -hmm. though it's not improving latency yeah (laughs) which again that's you know that's going to be one of those things where uh, people got mad at Hardware Unbox for doing this, where like he focuses on one thing and then he'll do a separate video or he'll let Tim do a separate video for XE Super Sampling. I kind of hope he does that with DLSS 3 as well, because I think if the 4090 is good in its own right, that's why you buy it. And then DLSS 3, let's really get into the nitty gritty here for 30 minutes and see if this thing is really worth talking about. And I, that's what I, I hope they do. But I will say that could be one thing that botches some of the 4090s coverage is if DLSS 3 sucks, which we'll see. I hope it doesn't. I hope everything's good always. But I do I do wonder if DLSS 3, if it sucks, if it could just ruin the DLSS name needlessly. Uh, to an extent, I feel like what they're doing it with DLSS 3 is DLSS started out having a little bit of a shaky reputation, but now by the time it got to 2, it was stellar because DLSS by 2 and especially like 2.3 is a great feature that is being adopted increasingly, is being increasingly adopted in tons of games. And I think they're using the branding of DLSS to launder a different, <laughs> uh, a different feature that frankly... I think for a, a single, a lot of single player games, that added smoothness might be worth it to people, but it's just not DLSS, and they're pretending no. it is because DLSS is a good brand now. Yeah, well, with regards to AMD losing the narrative, I feel like it's not going to have so few drawbacks that AMD can't counteract it for at least a couple months and get something working. And I don't know how hard it will take, but let's keep in mind we've had interpolation tech in tons of devices for decades so i mean there's even console games one developer told me oh we did this in a game for uh the ps2 or something <laughs> like like i i think uh amd can do this too but they they need to have an answer and they always need to have an answer to everything nvidia's throwing out there all these curveballs well i mean if you get uh fsr 3.0 and that essentially puts it in parity with dlss 2.4 or something being probably a little optimistic saying that but assuming that happens uh okay well what if nvidia can just say any game that has dlss 3 or and fsr uh 3 uh dlss gets double the frame rate yeah because they're 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 just adding twice as many 
quote unquote frames. Yeah, you could almost wonder if this is them preemptively getting ready for FSR 3.0, which could be hardware accelerated by RDNA 3. Like they could say, hey, look, there's no loss in image quality. And now it doesn't just give you like 20, 30% more performance like FSR ultra quality does right now. It doubles your frame rate if you have RDNA 3 and there's no loss and there's no increase in latency or there's a minimal one. And if they do that, NVIDIA will be like, well, we have a small increase in latency, but we quadruple performance. You could see that being a scenario in a few months in the Which online actually, debates. actually, though, I am curious, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, that increase in smoothness people are interpreting uh, from when they get to a higher frame rate, uh, I wonder how much of that is just you're noticing a decrease in latency. I think we're going to find out. <laughs> we're going and to I'll find be, out, I, actually. And I, I'll have a 4090 here, guys. We'll find out. Because <laughs> I'll it, tell it, you. The, the signals of your senses... Uh, uh, get crossed in your brain i don't think it's just that you're seeing twice as many frames necessarily when you're playing at 120 hertz versus 60 hertz yeah yeah i'm excited to test that i like <laughs> let's see we got to get you like an rdna3 card i like this thing we got going on where like i have an amp here you have an rdna2 and we, we just both get the perspectives from both companies separately <laughs> and then talk about it because and it's just so exciting. It's like I'm talking about if a new feature will only be useful for quadrupling my performance in some games with this launch. It's just such a different discussion than talking about Alchemist features. Yeah. <laughs> it's no surprise why I'm so excited for this over the other one. Um, even if it certainly sounds like it could have downsides. <laughs> even if it's overall not a good feature, it's something interesting to talk about. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a complete waste. TSMC Payton writes in and he says, Howdy, Tom and Dan. With each new generation, the performance ceiling rises. Simultaneously, the performance floor has been relatively stagnant. Does this inevitably increase the number of product segments? How might this trend buckle finally? Thanks. I think this is a fantastic question because you still have people like, well, can I play this game on my RX 580 or 1060? And these are... These are six-year-old graphics cards that are, I mean, what? I think the 4090 might be 4X the performance of a, uh, certainly not a 3090, but maybe a A770, A750. And so then we're talking about like six times, eight times the performance of an RX 580. Like, how is this? <laughs> like, what are we, like, when is something going to give and the minimum cannot be a 580 or a 1060 anymore. And we have graphics cards so much wildly stronger. It's ridiculous. I mean, I think people that are holding out at 1080p still, they're just not going to increase it. They're just not going to increase their resolution and their graphics card performance until shit starts breaking. You know, which our friends 48, 480 broke. And that's why he had to get a 6800 XT a few months ago. Yeah, it's like. I think there's going to be there. Maybe they could keep making a replacement card every year or two. I mean, every generation for the people that are still gaming in 1080p. And like we made that joke when the 6500 XT was announced where <laughs> it was basically a flowery way of saying we like we found that some gamers don't like getting a better card every year. And like that's kind of how they phrased it. Like I, to some extent, I think that's true. Like, if you could just tell someone, "Listen, man, performance isn't ever going to increase again. The pixels at 1080p are saturated with the lowest end card, and your card's gonna break every four years, and you need to pay a hundred bucks for a new card." I think I that's think gonna be 2060 would... performance. By the way, I don't think 480. I, I think I, you're, 2060. You're right. 
I think are going to reach that level eventually. And there are some people that are adamant that 1080p isn't any worse than 1440p or 4K. And some of those people are going to put their money where their well, mouth is for, as long as they can. Good for them then. Soon you'll be able to get 15-watt graphics cards or like Phoenix, which Phoenix should be like 1650 or something performance. Or, or, or so realistically at some or, point, that's well, not even going to... 1660 maybe. Realistically, that's not even going to be discrete in the next few generations. That will just be like an APU that you would get for that if you build PCs and don't care about getting better performance ever, which is a very small Venn diagram, a Venn diagram with very little crossover, I think, but I'm sure there's some of those people. Yeah. Um, Well, I played around with a 3050 a lot, and that's basically a 1660 Ti in performance, which I think Phoenix is going to be close to that, depending on how much power you give it, like 1660 performance. I can honestly say it blows away 1080p, so we're, we're getting close to the point where but then Phoenix isn't that cheap. It's on four nanometer. But still, you know, we are getting to that point, though, where APUs are just going to be like, hey, if you're on 1080p, like there is no point, guys. Yeah. And I, I just think uh, the answer is what's going to force product segments to collapse or something like I think it's when people are at a point where they're like, I might as well upgrade to something that's better than what I have now, because I think uh Really, what you should be doing when you build a PC is you should be getting something that will that will be good that will be good enough for your monitor and not exceed your monitor by some absurd degree unless you're planning on getting a new one soon. Because like if you buy a 3090 and you have a 1080p monitor, you're a moron. But um, <laughs> well, or you're a reviewer on a mainstream website, as we found. <laughs> but <laughs> but like. Uh, other than that, I think every time you have monitors that uh, release at a higher resolution with a, a new higher resolution, so like when I guess it's is are we going to move directly to 8K from 4K or is there going to be like some five and six I don't know. monitors? So I think I, I don't know. I think I think I, I can't imagine 16K will be a thing anytime soon. I think you're going to start seeing some boutique 5K. Uh, and 8K monitors next year. But I would honestly be surprised if there were more 8K than 5K. Like, maybe there mm-hmm. will be, but I just can't. Already 4K looks good enough to me. I can see the difference between 8K, but I think I would just stop at 5K personally. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen every time you a, a new resolution, higher resolution comes out for monitors. I think you're going to have some people that upgrade and some people that increasingly just say, listen, man, I'm holding out here. And I think that is goes all the way across like the general range of resolutions you see in PCs today. So I think there are going to be holdouts at 1080p, holdouts at 1440p, holdouts at 4K, holdouts at mm. 5K, holdout, and people that always want the newest thing and will get 8K year one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the, the, that, that minimum is going to buckle next year because, look, all the 580s are going to start breaking. They already are. Our friends did. And they're going to have devs go hey look guys seriously the xbox series s uh which is like a 590 basically uh well maybe it depends uh (laughs) but the ps5 is the minimum we already have xbox series s games that have 720p anyways so they'll say look the ps5 is the minimum it has a dynamic resolution between 1080p and 4k most of the time it's closer to 1200p um and that's the minimum for 60 hertz around there everything below that It'll run, but you might be gaming a 900p, and we're just done trying to worry about that because even APUs, even integrated graphics and Meteor Lake and Phoenix, 
are making this a non-starter for us to worry about this performance tier anymore. And it's like, sorry, yeah, maybe maybe if you draw a graph, a price performance graph, we could make a $15 graphics card if you assume the economics of this are linear. But they're but not. They're not. We're not going to make a fucking APU for you that uh, costs $50 because it doesn't make sense for us to make. <laughs> Buy, spend $200 on the APU or something. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's everything. We got through all of it, Dan. Another pretty huge episode that we're releasing early to leave room for the Lovelace reviews, the Lovelace launch, the Alchemist actual retail launch, how real it is, we'll see. And the, uh, I mean, God, what else is it? B650 comes out next week. And then the week after that, we got Raptor Lake. And we have, as far as I can tell, very few nights of me getting any sleep. But well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, give us a like, tell your friends about us, subscribe to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel, ring the bell button so you don't miss this upcoming stuff. Subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. Those downloads also help us. Give us a review on the podcast app. And of course, give us support on Patreon if you have the extra money. It's like 2 or $4 a month or $10, depending on the tier you want. You get even the bottom tier gets access to the Discord, the exclusive podcast die shrink. And the ability to ask us questions, higher tiers, you ask me and Dan questions, you get early ad free access to Broken Silicon, free questions to loose ends. Thank you. Incred- I mean, there's so much content. Without the Patreon, we could not be as blunt in our opinions <laughs> as we are. Just look at the other websites and you'll see that's true. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thank you for your support. Uh, have a good week, everybody. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Al-Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wondrick, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Zaniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantum G. Spantum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, Heartforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Seven Heart, Jason B., Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Autrini, Patrick Rowe, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Daniel Nguyen, Stephen Dick, Thomas, Kunden, Bruja, Mark Mitchell, McDaffey, Damian Peterson, James Anderson, Y-Tree, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pelt, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Owen Coella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jeremy Ferriere, Mayor, Desist, Thomas Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginice Ari, Slushpa, T. Cottom, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, David Eastland, Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaming Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, Joker, James I. Ratter, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shay, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, Timothy Baldridge, Samuel Park, Radeon Technologies Group, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.